Hello everyone, welcome to another episode of the Made for TV Mayhem show. This one is very special. Um, the day I'm uploading this for everyone to listen to will be February 6th, 2021, which marks the 40th anniversary of the original air date of This House Possessed, which as many of you know is my favorite Made for TV movie. And so to celebrate, um, I got the gang together. So Dan, Nate, and myself will be talking about the film um, for about 45 minutes or an hour. But before you hear that part, you get to hear me talk to Parker Stevenson about making this house possessed. Um, I was so excited uh, that he agreed to come on and uh, let me make an idiot out of myself in front of him. And he answered all my questions very nicely. And he gave um, some great background about the film as well as about some of his other interests like photography. And so I really hope you guys enjoyed listening. But I'm just leaving this little intro here for you just so you have some context. And so you know that it's going to be an interview with Parker Stevenson first and then um, a discussion about the film afterwards. So I hope you enjoy it, and thank you for listening. Aren't TV movies fun? Join Amanda, Dan, and Nate as they discuss their favorite made-for-TV movies on the Made-for-TV Mayhem Show. sure how much you're going to remember about making this house possessed and I don't know if I should give you some context for why I'm doing this but um it's turning 40 on February 6th and in terms of the original air date yeah 10 years ago I actually did a 30 year anniversary for it when I had a blog and um a bunch of people sent in um why I love this house possessed it was a big film for us in 1981 and it had a big impression on us and it was also a gateway for a lot of us into the world of horror and you were a draw for so many of us as well because of the Hardy Boys and um it's my favorite made for TV movie I think it's doing a lot with what I think looks kind of superficial but is actually kind of a kind of a moving film about you know I don't know how well you remember the story but about this girl whose memory doesn't exist um, from her childhood and the house sort of loved her so much it you didn't want to be without her and it was about letting go right and it had all kinds of stuff in it that i see as i get older uh i met you years ago and i had you sign my copy of um this house possessed script when it was under the uh original title american gothic yeah. and we talked briefly about it and so i just wanted to do something special this year because it is the 40th anniversary so i was hoping that you could give me i'm going to ask you some questions some of which i don't think you can answer some are really boring because i know nothing about the film there's the only documentation on it is an interview you did to promote the film right and that's wow. basically it that i can find aside from some stuff about the house and so i'm hoping that you can give us some context or at least some stories because i know a lot of people would love to hear about the making of the film and your memories of it and um a lot of things about the movie that maybe you can help fill in some gaps when you asked me to do this this one i had to think okay so <laughs> <laughs> 
because um, it was a while ago. Yeah. Oh, I have some really strong memories about certain moments and certain people and, and Lisa Eilbacher I've known forever and still know. And But it's, it's really interesting to just be asked to kind of revisit something that was a long time ago and that sort of gets lost for me, you know, in the, in the daily, in daily life, dealing with whatever's going on in your life, with your relationships, your kids, your family, you know, these projects tend to get just kind of swept into into the whole career. So it's kind of nice actually to be oh, good. asked to kind of reconsider some of this stuff. Well, so you're telling me you don't think about this house possessed every day because that's really upsetting to me. <laughs> oh, <no. laughs> okay. Well, we know. So when you did the, you were at the Steel City Con in Pittsburgh when um, I asked you a question when you were talking and everyone was asking about the Hardy Boys, which is the show that uh, was my introduction to you and made me actually want to become a detective. And then I became a historian and, and a researcher. So I think that's what led me to it. Um, but I asked you about this house possessed and you, the one thing you talked about was singing, you play me like a song was your big memory for yeah. the show. And you didn't even really remember that you sang a song called sensitive. You're not. And we're going to talk about that song. So, um, cause that's the song that everybody remembers. But, uh, before, uh, we dive into that, I just want to ask you some basic questions. I'm not sure you can answer this portion of it, but since yeah. there's so little documentation on the film itself, do you have any idea what the budget of the film was? Is I remember it was about a million and a half. Wow, not bad. It 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 was. I had a deal with ABC to do two movies for ABC after the Hardy Boys, and um, I submitted some stuff to them, and they kept rejecting all the things that I liked. <laughs> it just happens. Uh, and then they came to me towards the end of that deal because uh, it was a two-year deal, and said, "Well, we have this movie we'd like you to do." And we'll pay you, you know, that deal that we made if you do this movie. And that's kind of how it came about. So I was sort of technically associated with the production, but I wasn't really. I mean, it really was uh, it really was an in-house ABC movie that they, they sort of threw me into. Yeah, I read that it was part of your two movie deal was part of uh, they you would do one for them. And then you had to think a company called Parker Productions. Is that correct? Yeah. yeah. Did your company ever end up producing anything? Avalon Adventures of the Abyss uh, was done in association with it. And I did that. When was that? That was probably in the uh, 98, 99. That was for Paramount. Oh, cool. Uh, and just a lot of development stuff, you know, buying scripts and pitching scripts and selling scripts. And this is little, this is going to go veer off my script already. But so, I mean, in the 90s, you became a pretty prominent television director working on Melrose Place, right? in Baywatch and shows that you had appeared on, um, like Melrose Place uh, and Baywatch. Um, so... In 1981, when you started Parker Productions, were you looking more at moving behind the scenes already at that point? It wasn't. I wasn't interested in directing really ever, uh, but I was interested in certain stories I wanted to do, certain movies I wanted to do. There was one, for instance, I gave to uh, CBS. It was called The Iron Orchard. It was a book. You know, I'm always looking for books. And it was about the oil industry. It was about Texas. It was about, you know, big, fast money. And I sent to them and I got a rejection letter saying, no one wants to see, you know, the oil industry in Texas. And about two months later, they picked up Dallas and Dallas began. <laughs> <laughs> I've had a lot of those, you know, that's, that's usually when I've learned that when you have an idea that something might be a nice, a nice story to do and people might enjoy it, lots of other people are probably having a similar reaction just because of what's happening culturally, that something might be a good idea. So I've had, I've had that kind of thing happen a lot. And, and sometimes it works in your favor and sometimes it works against you, you know? Yeah, it was pretty ambitious because I, I think you, you were about 28 when you uh, made this house possessed. So you were already kind yeah. of 
thinking big at that point, which is pretty interesting. So do you remember how long the shoot was by any chance? Probably uh, four or five weeks. It's interesting. I don't know how many, I have to go back in my filmography in your head. I've been concentrating on this film so much, but a lot of TV movies, like say in the seventies, which was just right before you made this, were shot like in two, three weeks. So like, I think if I would shoot, it's kind of luxurious. It was a new special effects kind of stuff that they were doing in the movie. Yeah. That's a, it's a heavily effects friendly film. And even watching it now, um, like some of the, well, it's really a brutal TV movie. Like it's surprisingly violent for the era and for um, the medium. And I don't know how much you remember some of the death scenes, but like, of course, there's a famous blood shower with Shelly Smith, who doesn't die. She somehow gets ejected from the house. Like she spit literally from the house at that point. But like Joan Bennett's death of where she's burned alive in the pool. And um, and also Kay Callan gets crushed in the car. And those are, the Kay Callan scene in particular is really brutal. And so I could see them taking more time for the special effects. So I have to ask, so you say you were getting scripts um, in this interview uh, and you were kind of turning them down left and right and looking for a project right for you. Do you have any memories of what it was about This House Possessed that attracted you to the screenplay? What about this one? Yeah. Um, You know, um, things come along and you turn down a lot of stuff. You think, you know, you think, oh, I know how I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that kind of movie. And then suddenly something comes along and you go, well, that's not what I was thinking of doing, but it's kind of fun, <laughs> even though I had to sing in it, which was not <laughs> something I was looking forward to doing. That's when you, you learn you're either a singer or not singer when you when you actually do it publicly. And then you kind of go, huh, maybe that's not a good thing for me. <laughs> I think you're really good in it. I wrote a book about TV movies and I remember writing about your singing in it. I just reread the review to remind myself. I wrote, um, he's not so bad at it. Um, and it was kind of a funny thing for me. <laughs> Because I'm used to thinking of Sean Cassidy, I you know I thought of you guys together for so long that uh, because of the Hardy Boys as being the singer of the two of you, and so when you uh, did that those performances, I thought maybe you were a singer as well. But this was really your first time doing it, wasn't it? Yeah, I sung like in high school. <laughs> I sung, oh. you know, in college for briefly. I sang, you know, in one of the college men's groups. But that's more hanging with your friends and doing road trips and when you put yourself out and you do it you sing like I did and and those weren't easy songs because they weren't really <laughs> in my range and that 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 last one I think the third one which was you play me like a song the lyrics were all peas you yeah. play, me, play me like a song you play me. and peas are like the worst you don't want to have to sing peas because <laughs> they pop and it's hard to minimize it just all that stuff I just didn't have the skills for it so when that was over um, I really realized comfortably that yeah, his singing really wasn't much. <laughs> <laughs> has to do like uh, Joseph and the amazing uh, Technicolor Dreamcoat, you know, <laughs> musical plays. And I knew from that on always to say no. <laughs> <laughs> well, do you remember about recording those? Did you work with Billy Goldenberg or Carol Connors at all? I worked, I worked with Carol. Carol was in the recording studio, and I think they were her lyrics. Um, yes. He did the music, and it was her lyrics. And she was really fun, but uh, it was definitely. <laughs> It was definitely outside my wheelhouse, <laughs> but yeah, you know, I got through it. It was fine, and 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 no one made too much fun of me at the time when I did it. So, 
No, they're really fun. Sensitive You're Not is like the song that ever, all the fans of the movie remember <laughs> because the lyrics are so crazy. Laps at the end up. <laughs> it's just such a, and it's such a great performance because um, you're kind of like a yacht rock singer. You know, it's like this very sort of soft, poppy music. And um, you're it's a weird setup because you're surrounded by all of your fans. It was, it was very there's, weird. there's no band. And and you're very charming in it, but it's such a great kind of like moment where like you make some jokes and everybody laughs and you're like sensitive, you're not, and you just break into it. <laughs> yeah, I did have fun doing it. I mean, I did have fun doing it. I, I, I had fun doing all the all the crazy, you know, all the horror stuff. I've only done a couple of horror movies, really. Uh, but yeah, it was fun. I mean, anything you do something that's, that's new and sort of something you haven't done before, it, it's kind yeah. of, you know. But but I knew I knew I was walking a tightrope to be singing at all. <laughs> <laughs> well, you did a great job. Um, and when you made the movie, and they cast Lisa Eilbacher as your love interest, I did it just happen that they hired her, or did they were they aware of your relationship on the Hardy Boys? And it was no, so I, I think they knew. And she was she, she was so right for it, you know, because she has a sweetness about her, and and she can play that kind of that kind of surprised innocence when, you know, when, when someone gets crushed in the, in the front gate. <laughs> Your character like runs up to the car and then, and then you're like, I can't do anything. And then you just kind of go back and she's like, what? <laughs> don't go back in the house. <laughs> you know, the, I, I guess what people maybe respond to, I mean, I, it's hard for me to imagine that, it still has a life, but it does because people come up to me and ask me about it and talk about it. I think it's because it's it's out there and it's just fun and campy and and yet played straight. You know, we we played it straight faced and 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 weren't winking at the audience. We just sort of did the story and let the story, which was pretty outrageous, kind of. <laughs> yeah, I think I think it worked, um, especially in that era of the TV movie, because so like I lecture about TV movies. And one of the things I talk about is how TV movies were really permissible, like adults wouldn't often not take you to go see Friday the 13th, but they would let you watch a TV movie because they just knew it was going to be more restrained. Right. And so it was a gateway film for a lot of people to watch. And some of the memories I have of the articles that people submitted to me was uh, my friend John said that he had to be in bed at a certain time, but he would sneak out of bed and try to see what his parents were watching, like from the stairwell or whatever. Yeah. And um, they were watching uh, This House Possessed and the blood shower scene happened. And he was like 10. And he was like, I'm not really sure. What, I've never seen anything like this before. And it haunted him for years, you know? And so he would tell people, have you seen the movie with the blood shower scene? So I think when I think back to the era of TV movie, and I don't know how many of you were watching, uh, horror was sort of um, on the decline because in the 70s it was huge with the ABC movie of the week. They really churned out a lot of genre films. Yeah, yeah. And so you came out in an era that there was a handful of really great films. This one, Dark Knight of the Scarecrow, Fantasies, which David Linson also made, um, and a few others, but it was really slim pickings, um, slim pickings in um, comparison. And... Um, yeah. Yeah. And so I think it had um, a really deep impression on so many of us. Um, but I know in the interview, you also talked about one of the things um, that attracted you to the idea of making the movie was that you really liked the house and that you have a degree. I think you have a degree in architecture even. And so you sort of probably understood the house in a way that a lot of people working on the film didn't. Um, can you tell me a little bit about your impression of that house? I just remember when we first went to location, and I, it, it, it's a monolith. I mean, that, that entryway, all that concrete is just amazing. I didn't know that that area down by San Diego, that was, that was my first time down there. But it just it, it seemed like 
the right imposing and yet contemporary house. It wasn't, you know, an old mansion sitting on the hill. It wasn't like the psycho house. It was something contemporary. And, and so all the electronic stuff that was, you know, was dialed in on her and all that kind of kind of made sense, you know? And you mentioned Slim. Slim was hysterical. He, he was so funny. Years later, I got to go to the Kentucky Derby with him. Oh. <laughs> he took me as his guest to the Kentucky Derby and, and the way people responded to him there, he was, you know, he was like the, the king of the, of, the, of the whole Derby. <laughs> now with Joan Bennett and Slim and it just was Shelley Smith. I mean, it really was a nice cast. They did a good job. Putting it together. It's, it's a great cast. Those were a couple of my other questions. Let me skip ahead a little. Um, yeah, Joan Bennett made a movie called Suspiria that I don't know if you've ever seen by Dario Argento. And in some ways it's a similar film in a tenuous way um and she was considered you know by the time you were working with there was one of her last projects um uh she was the grand dom of like tv and film and i'm just curious what she was like in person you know one of my regrets is that i didn't make an effort to sit and talk with her whenever we had downtime i i did that with some other people i did it with ray Milland, and i did it with uh, joseph cotton and i did it with you know other people that i've gotten to work with to just try to get a perspective on what I was in, what I was involved in and where this might go, you know, and how you deal with all, all of, of the ups and downs of, of yeah. being an actor. And I didn't get a chance to really talk to her. And I, I, I regret that. Um, she, she really came in and was kind of very methody. I mean, she was, when she was on the set, she was the bag lady and she had that big red lipstick and, yeah. and she kind of bumbled around and, and she was, was, um, separate in a lot of ways you know and I think I was too young to really realize that it was up to me to make the effort you know she was coming in as a guest person which is always hard to come in you know in a smaller part and kind of yeah. find your way through the production and I was too young to really understand that that I needed to step up and actually engage her and I wish I had because her career you know I later realized how amazing her career yeah. was. she was you know like Hedy Lamar or yeah uh, some, some of the, the greats, some of the greats, greats, and I, I really should have taken advantage of that. Those, those, those exchanges sometimes with people you work with uh, are really probably one of the greatest kind of rewards of working, to kind of get to connect with people that you never would get a chance to talk to and pick their brains. Well, Slim Pickens and you, you guys have great chemistry too on um, on this movie. And um, so uh, you kind of already answered it, but do you remember any stories about like on set with him? Do you have any anecdotes? With who? With Slim Pickens? Um, just kind of being mesmerized by his accent. <laughs> I mean, he walk, he walks, steps into the, into the scene and he opens his mouth and you're just mesmerized by him. <laughs> kind of swaggers in he's his own thing you know it's it's just so great and and again you know he came in and he was the manager and he kind of livened everything up because he's got that energy you know keeping keeping the show going uh but it wasn't until years later i mean probably oh it would have been at least a decade later that i was at the kentucky derby where i really spent all day i mean he picked me up and we he drove me out there it was a couple hour drive out to the derby track and we spent all day there and, and then i really got to know him I just, I, you know, I just, I was kind of finding my way in, in, in a lot of ways then. You know, I'd done the Hardy Boys and I'd done some films before that. And and so I was kind of discovering, well, where does this go and how do I do this? And, and what's work like outside of the the routine and kind of the protection of a of a set on a series where every, every week's the same, you know, you're kind of cranking out another episode. Yeah. So to go on location, start doing other stuff was newer to me. 
you're very self-assured in the film. It's interesting because um, this isn't really The House Possessed related, but I recently interviewed Ken Achety for um, Shades of Love, which you did The Rose Cafe for, and he loves you. He just said the nicest things about you. And I think at that time, um, you were being seen mostly as a romantic lead. And um, and Shooting Stars for me was a real eye-opener, and Stroker Ace in particular, as uh, your kind of uh, depth of comedy timing is so good. Um, and I don't know that people really saw that. And uh, This House Possessed to me, maybe I'm answering your question, but like it's definitely a leading man role. Like you're swoony as hell in this movie. Like it's ridiculous. But at the same time, it's a horror movie, right? And it's not your story. It's it's Sheila's. It's Lisa Eilbacher's, right? Yeah. And, um, and I wonder if that was part of the draw for you too. Or were you already doing those kind of romantic leading man roles by 1981? I had done um, uh, a movie with Pamela Sue Martin, right. uh, which was sort of really my second film. And that was a young romantic lead. I mean, because of sort of what my background was and where I came from, I tended to be the all-American guy, you know, which was fine. That, that was a, a real working genre to play, you know, so I was grateful for that. Even in the Hardy Boys, you know, we were cute and we were young and, and you know... <laughs> running around um so that kind of was still leading man and that's pretty consistently how i get cast how i've always gotten cast and every now and then i get to do something a little goofier you mentioned shooting stars with billy d williams and and that was for me was great because billy is, was an i was an icon and i was his foil so the banter with him i was sure that was going to go to series yeah aaron spelling and, and we had a lot of fun doing it the rays were good but it, for some reason didn't get picked up and okay but even even that, you know, I'm playing a I'm playing a stuntman, you know, turn private detective with him, and, and it's sort of silly, but it's also kind of leading leading man type. It's rare that I get to, you know, I really play someone awful, and even when I'm playing someone awful, I'm playing someone you don't know is awful. <laughs> right. Yeah, I'm thinking of one right now, but I don't want to be too spoilery about it. But um, do you have so? Is there a kind of role that you haven't played that you'd like to? I'd like to do a project, whether it's a series or a movie, something that really relates more to where I am now in my life. You know, I, I played 18 for 20 years, and I played 20 for 30. <laughs> and at some, point, um, at some point, you're just kind of repeating what you know those beats are and what those ideas are. And and what I've discovered now that I'm almost 70 is that there are a lot of things that come in life that no one tells you is coming. Uh, I, I think people don't think of it or they don't admit that they're having back problems. They don't want to admit that, they, that they've got some medical issues or that they're not able to do some things that they used to do or how quickly maybe you need glasses, you know? Yeah. <laughs> what, are the thi- what are the things that, that come that, that, uh, that people don't warn you about? And there are a lot of them. And, and all of that has to do with our mortality and how we have to kind of reassess, okay, how much time do we have left? Do we really, you know, uh, it, it's, it's not open-ended here. A lot of friends from college and school and stuff who are gone. And that every time that happens, it's a shock to me. So a story that really relates more to what I've discovered myself, you know, raising a family and that family becoming its own family and, and where that leaves, you know, me older in relation to all that is really intriguing to me. And, uh, and it is short, this, this little journey we all get to be on. It's a miracle and it's short. So I'd, I'd like to maybe tap into those issues. Yeah, I'm going to agree with you on that. Um, one of the things I also lecture on is ageism in cinema 
and um, how we sort of target things into the youth culture and we get kind of forgotten about in our stories. And like, for, this is where I go on another tangent briefly, but like Jackie Brown, you know, Quentin Tarantino's Jackie Brown is about an older couple, you know, Robert Forster was 56, Pam Grier was 44, which isn't that old, but by Hollywood standards, she's past her cell date or two yeah. for a lot of people. Yeah. And that was a, it was a heist film, but it was also a love story between two older people who were both down on their luck, you know, and you never see that. And that's one of the reasons why that film has always lived so close to my heart, because as I get older, um, I recognize myself and the characters more and more. And you, there isn't a lot of films like that, you know, for an older audience. There's some, and then I think a lot of them though are sort of, uh, they're great for what they're doing and they can be really empowering, but things like Space Cowboys, where it's like, we, you know, these journeys we go on that are more over the top. But I think there's something to be said about telling these small, real stories that we live day to day, you know? And I would love to see you play something like that because I think the audience is there for you. Um, it's just finding the person that's willing to pay to get the movie made is the problem, I think. Yeah, yeah. always. Yeah, always. The development uh, routine is is arduous and often really slow. It's sort of how my, it's a tangent, it's how my photography really, really became serious to me is I, I look to that to be able to be responsible for all stages of it so that it's really more a reflection really of what my aesthetics are and what my interests are. Uh, because often in development that you you know you get lots of chefs in there. I mean, I've developed so many shows where you go in and you have a very kind of an intimate personal story in a specific environment that that is moving and telling, and the reaction you see is well, can't they be a, a detective? I mean, can't they carry a gun? And we have all this opportunity to have drama if they carry a gun. <laughs> and it's like okay, but this is a story about a, a, a single mom on an island. <laughs> New England. Do we really need to give her a gun, or are you interested in what that life would be? Yeah, <laughs> I, 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 it's, it's like chronic. <laughs> it's chronic, and you realize, okay, well, that's just that this isn't the material for them. They don't get it. You know, it's it's you're always hunting the person that goes, oh, I was moved by this. I, we have to figure out how to get this made because it's important and it's touching, and I'd love to see this, but this is not an easy sell. Let's go figure it out. That's what you're always hunting for. Yeah. Well, hopefully you will find something like that. Um, yeah, or not, or I'll just keep shooting my pictures. <laughs> well, that's good too. So um, again, another, we're going off topic here, but um, which came first, the photography or your directing? Oh, I, I've been shooting since I, I was shooting weddings when I was 14. <laughs> oh, really? What is it about photography? I like, uh, I like the serendipity of it, that, that if, if you are conscious of enjoying shooting pictures, and it's great with phones now, you just use your phone. But to what you discover in life, if you have a camera available to you, are moments that are glorious. And and sometimes it's just an aesthetic composition or color palette, or and often it's a connection with a the person. There's a moment. It's why I like doing portraits, because that's a journey with someone where you together kind of craft what this is going to be and and discover what happens that's unexpected. That's the part that I really the unexpected part. And it's not an accident. People say, oh, well, you got lucky with that shot. No, 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 no. I, I walked around for 30 years with this camera looking. I, it wasn't an accident. I was ready to get that shot when I saw it. And when I say I, I mean anybody, you know, if you're right. in that way. So I always shot, I always shot. And and I, I crates of <laughs> film, <laughs> spools of film that some I developed myself and some that are just, you know, in crates. And um, I never really had any interest in directing because it, it, it's a lot of decision-making. 
and I don't really like making decisions. I'd much rather stall and think about it until it sort of solves itself, whatever the problem is. Um, and only because the well, Hasselhoff really on Baywatch is the one that kind of said, come back and direct. And I was like, no, I, 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 and he said, come on, do it, do it, do it. And he got me to direct. And that was, um, it was great. It turned out to be something I was really comfortable because I'm looking through the lens. I'm still looking through a lens. Right. Taking the world by lowering the camera, moving it to the left, it suddenly is right. That little shift suddenly makes it right. And I'm always looking for what's right, you know. Yeah, I, I only discovered your photography later. I think, actually, I feel like it was fairly recent and maybe after we met last time because mm -hmm. I probably went on your website or something like that. And it's really beautiful photography. Um, mm -hmm. And I'm curious... Um, when you were making, I think it's called Shadow of a Stranger. Of course, now I'm drawing a blank with uh, Emma Sams and Michael Easton. Yeah. I don't know if you ever talked to him about photography, but he's a really good photographer as well. Who was that? Michael Easton. Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, I didn't know that. Is he? Yeah. Yeah. I don't know if it's a newer thing, but his website also, he also does poetry. He does a lot of, a little bit of everything. Um, and um, I'm semi-obsessed with him, but uh, <laughs> just because mm -hmm. he's on a soap and I love him. But uh, like... Um, He's, he does a bunch of different things and they're all really interesting, but his photography is kind of, um, it's really intriguing to me. And I was just curious if you knew that he did that and you talked about it with him. Oh, I think I've seen him since we worked together. He does graphic novels as well. Oh, wow. Good for him. Yeah. You guys are so artistic, uh, both of you, you know, yeah. you're finding different avenues for your creativity, which is great um, and um, pleases me so much. And I wonder if as a photographer, looking for these especially with portraiture do you think that that feeds into your acting at all like are you thinking about what you are searching for in somebody else and then trying to to relay it to um your character do you understand what i'm saying like the never. human condition or whatever or I whatever never, <laughs> no I, I never thought of that but um you know for decades when i worked i just played i just played you know whatever i thought that character was you say the words and you kind of find it and you play the situation out and then, you know, as I worked more, I got more interested in, okay, but how, how is this different for me? You know, and how can I, how can I connect with some, someone whose values or, or thoughts or feelings are different than me and still have it be real? How can I make that real? If you're, especially if you're playing some who's a slasher, who's butchering people. How do you, how do you, and, I, and I'm not particularly method. I don't have to live it. I don't have to be it. But I, you have to really connect with it in a way that you can be comfortable finding comfort in that place. Um, and that probably does have something to do with the photography, which is where you're, you see, someone sits in front of you to be photographed. And that's a, that's a big leap of faith. I mean, they're trusting. You're not going to make them look silly. That you're going to find help show who they are in a, in a to me in a beautiful way. I mean, it was, it was a fellow that I, I shot um, years back who was a search and, search and rescue guy, you know, who would drop out of helicopters down to get people off mountainsides that had been in car crashes. And, and, and he was a rough, rough looking guy, a lot of life in his face, you know, and he had retired from there and he was interested in acting. So he asked me to do a headshot for him. And it was such an interesting session because he was beautiful, but he wasn't, you know, he's not, wasn't Cary Grant, you know, it wasn't Michael Easton. He wasn't some, you know, beautiful face, but he was beautiful because there was so much humanity in him. So to trust that is, is, is an amazing experience. If someone will, will go there with you, you know, and I think that is part of what, you know, when you're directing or you're acting and 
you tr- you have to trust the director that they're not going to give you direction that's just wrong. I think I think the most challenging thing for me these days as an actor, and I don't act a lot. When I do, I do it because I'm I'm excited about the potential of it. But sometimes there's such a low level of experience. Uh, people come from all different places to do these indie movies, and they don't have a lot of experience. And they're trying stuff. They're experimenting, and it's important for them to execute their vision, but they don't necessarily have experience doing that. And the direction can be confusing, either too much direction, in which case you don't know what they're trying to communicate, or they have an idea that doesn't reflect what's actually happening organically in with that cast on that set in that moment. There's so many levels to it. And, and only by sensitivity to all those aspects can something magical really happen. So it can be frustrating if you feel the potential and you know what's right here and someone's like, ah, just say it quicker and faster, we're going to move on. we got another shot to do. Yeah. You know? Yeah, well, that leads me to two questions. I'm probably going to forget the second one, but let me start with the first one. Let's talk a little bit about the director of This House because there's very little information about him. I know nothing about him except that he and David Levinson made three TV movies together. Um, they made This House first. Then they, the year after, they did a movie called Fantasies with Suzanne Plachette, which was a huge hit for them. And um, then they did a movie a couple years later called Kicks with Shelley Hack and Anthony Gary. And um, they had this little, I call it a trifecta of these films, but um, they didn't do anything else together as far as I know, but they're three fascinating films. And William Wired, um, he's a really interesting figure to me, yet I know nothing about him. So can you just talk a little bit about what you thought about working with him or if you knew anything about him as a person? What I knew when I heard he was directing is I knew he had done Tom Horn the Steve McQueen movie, which I was fascinated by, that had come out. It was late in, in McQueen's career, but maybe right at the end. And he was playing, you know, it was, you know, he was playing a kind of a bounty hunter cowboy. And it was dark and it was really interesting. And I was like, I was thrilled that that I was going to get to work with him because, you know, there are a couple of people that were key to me that I, whose work I really was fascinated by, not whose, whose work I'm like, but just who I really connected with. And that was McQueen and Paul Newman, Redford on a lot of stuff, especially Redford's directing. But those guys in that time frame were, were, the, were the, the, the top, you know? And he had done just done Tom Horn, which sometimes watch it. It's just really interesting. Oh, definitely. So it just gave me comfort that he, he knew what he was doing, you know, and he did. I mean, he pulled off, the, you know, this, this movie's kind of all over the place and it's funny and it's sweet and it's touching. And yet people, as you say, are being, you know, these grisly deaths every time you turn around. <laughs> Probably the commercial breaks, someone else is getting mauled. <laughs> so was there a lot of it shot in the interior of the house? Or uh, I, I know a lot of it couldn't be because of the effects, but were you able to spend a lot of time in the house? Yeah, we were in the house a lot. A lot. And they were pretty good about it. It was, you know, it was new construction. I think they were worried about a film company coming in because they were, you know, clamping lights on beams and, <laughs> uh, you know, putting tape down on everything. Everything's, everything's getting taped up and the tape leaves marks. And, you know, so I, I remember there was a little back and forth between the owners and the production just about what they were doing in there. But yeah, we, were, we, we shot in the house a lot. You say the security system was already there. Were those, the, all those monitors and everything were already set up? Is that right? I don't, I don't think the monitors were there. I think okay. that like the monitor room, you know, when we yeah. go in, it goes dark when we walk in. That, I think that was the studio. Okay. Yeah, and they were running around planting cameras all over the house to make it look like the house is all wired that way. Do you remember how they shot the end scene with the fire? Because um, it, it looks pretty authentic that they're burning down this person's house. I remember it was hot. 
<laughs> we I would imagine. I remember. I remember that it was hot. <laughs> the flames. I don't remember quite how they did it. Although you know they bring in all these pipes with holes in, it. just like in your fireplace. You know, you turn the gas on and light it to, to make it look like you got a real fire. Those those pipes were everywhere. <laughs> oh, so they were at the house. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. As I remember, they did it, you know, they lay it in front of the house and with a long lens, it makes the flames look like they're on top of the house. So they gap between them. And so something else you were talking about when we were talking about like um, uh, looking at the character and how can you play this person that's not you. Do you remember what you thought of the character of Gary and what you wanted to bring to the character? Was there anything interesting about him to you? Well, I remember just trying to sort out, okay, so if I'm gonna play a singer, I mean, who who is the prototype for that? I mean, was is it is it Sean? Is it Andy Gibb? Is it the Bee Gees? Is it and for me, even though it's really not what the character was, but for me it was kind of James Taylor. It was sort of the reluctant singer, the songwriter more, the singer-songwriter who's a little more reluctant about what he does, but knows that he's got to perform and get out there if, he, if music is going to be heard. So so that was sort of the choice. <laughs> but Oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. Yeah, just in all honesty, you know, it was really more, it really was, I really was focused more on surviving the singing part. <laughs> I saw someone sing right after that. Maybe it was Aretha Franklin or something, right? It was up at the Universal Amphitheater. And, it, and as soon as she opened her mouth, it was like, oh, that's right. This is what singing is. It's not being in a booth with someone sort of saying, okay, maybe if you whisper it, it won't, it, it won't sound like you're straining your voice so much. <laughs> When you're singing the "Play Me Like a Song" uh, tune, because yeah. you mentioned Shelley Smith, one of the she's so great in this film because that is a really fun, campy, over-the-top character. And uh, I don't know how well you remember that performance in that scene, but like she's popping pills and drinking wine. Yeah, I went back and watched the. Oh, okay. Well, but I didn't get all the way through it because my DVD player jammed, so I didn't get. I only got two thirds of the way through it, but I I was reminded that she was. <laughs> Being high, popping pills, and I'm singing away. Said, yeah, that's what she does. <laughs> what do you remember about working with her? Because um, she only really made films for one decade, but in my mind, because she did so much stuff, she's been in film. She was in film and television forever for me. But um, I know she quit acting uh, in '91. So, and she really was a fairly new actress by the time she got to this house possessed. I think she started a couple years earlier. What do you remember about her? Did 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 she? Do you remember why she retired? Um, I know that she, I don't know why she retired. She said she was at a, I read an interview with her um, from the early 90s where she said she was sort of at a crossroads with her life. By the time 1989 rolled around, which is when I think she had that horrible pregnancy that where her baby died. And then she got into surrogate parenting and family therapy afterwards because of the tragedy that she had trying to conceive a child. And, you know, when I think of Shelley Smith, I think of this really glamorous, gorgeous kind of over-the-top person and so when i read that interview i was kind of taken aback by it but and i but i think that might be why she retired i think she was at the end of finding an interest in that kind of work it wasn't fulfilling yeah. for her yeah. at yeah. that point but yeah. you caught her early on and i'm just curious what she was like well i would see i remember seeing her around because you know the in the network world then uh it was really three networks and and so that that world was fairly closed and the events that were were sort of ongoing you know it would be some affiliates dinner or it'd be a promotional dinner or and it was the same kind of cast of characters that you'd see 
and I would see her around. So I, I knew her just sort of from, you know, from those events, you know, it was, oh, hi, you know, nice to see you. And, and But I thought she did a nice job in it, actually. I really did. Right. I, thought she, I thought she kind of put herself out a little bit and did a nice job. And and I admire that it, that if that was what her, her path was and she made a different choice. I really admire that. I had a, a period maybe 10 years ago, 12 years ago, where I just decided, you know, I don't want to do this anymore. I'm just kind of bored. I'm bored with the business side of it. I'm bored with the frustrations of it. And I told my kids, you know, that I, I was retiring as an actor. I wasn't going to act anymore. And they were like, oh, okay. <laughs> and then after about a year, um, I realized, who am I kidding? <laughs> this is what I do. <laughs> <laughs> this is what I do. This is what I, this is what I do. And I can do my photography and I can write and I can do whatever I want to do, but I'll always act. And if something comes along, I'm interested in, I will act and I'll do it until I, until I fall over. That's just, that's just, you know, I just realized, oh, no, you, you, don't, you don't just retire. I think you don't necessarily just retire unless you really find that it, it's disruptive to the rest of your life. And acting is not for me because I, I you know, I had my, my time with my kids, raising my kids, and, and that was glorious. And my photography is glorious. And I mean, now I'm, you know, my wife is a chef and actually COVID has been this challenging but kind of fascinating period. I've been shooting, we've shot a thousand videos in, since COVID started of, of of her food, she's a top chef. And so she's, she's making all this food and I'm shooting it and we're posting it up and that's its own journey. And if, if a, another movie came along, I'd be like, great, great. I did a, a little movie um, right before COVID time, which was called uh, um, Last Call in the Doghouse. And it was sort of a cameo playing a writer. And I just really liked the part. I really connected with just who that character was. And so I'll always, I'll always probably stumble my way back in, you know? Well, I'm glad because I always love seeing you and stuff. And that kind of makes me want to ask a little bit about Lisa Albacher. Two questions. I yeah. saw Bradford May was a camera operator on the film. Yes. Did they meet on This House Possess? I think they did. I think they did. And I wasn't aware that they were seeing each other or dating or anything during it. We were just working away. But shortly thereafter, I realized that they were together as a couple. And and he was, he's, he's terrific. And he, he became really a great cinematographer, you know. Um, yeah, he's worked on some of my favorite. I think he became a director as well. He directed in the 90s some really good TV movies. Uh, he did one with Andy Griffith and John Ritter called Gramps, where, uh -huh. you know, Andy Griffith is like... Um, a murderous grandfather uh, trying to get back into the graces of his family run by John Ritter. And it's one of the most iconic movies of the nineties. I can think of it made for TV um, in terms of like um, people still talk about it to this day. And uh, he's, he did some really interesting things in it to play up Andrew Griffith's character and sort of juxtapose it against Sheriff Andy from Mayberry. Mm -hmm. You know what mm -hmm. I mean? He kind of really, uh, it's its very uh, self-aware in a way. And um, yeah. and it's also just a really good movie. Those are two great actors. But yeah, yeah he's hes a really interesting guy. And um, and I saw him in the credits this last time I watched This House Possessed. And I thought, oh, I don't remember ever noticing that. So I was just curious if um, yeah. that's where they met. Um, and also, do you know, you were talking about like how you always want to come back to acting, but she's pretty much dropped out of the scene. Do you know what she does now? Lisa? Yeah. I don't know. I mean, I see her occasionally at like an autograph convention or something. It would be a, a press thing. Or, and I'll see her and and she looks the same. I mean, she looks great. She looks just like she did in the movie. 
Um, and and I'm pretty sure she's still with Brad, and they've been together all this time. And uh, I, you know, I think she's probably just living her life. And and and, but I don't know details of what she's doing. I just know when I see her, I'm always glad to see her. It's always sweet. Yeah, she's just missed. I've always loved her. Um, again, because I think the Hardy Boys attachment, but seeing you guys together in this house possessed is always such a treat for me because it reminds me of more than just the film itself, but the how much as a kid I loved Hardy Boys was very big in my life uh David Levinson uh also like I said he wrote This House Possessed he was also a producer on it was he on set ever do you remember working with him I think he probably was on set although don't, although I don't remember the script was really done before I came in I didn't yeah. give notes I wasn't asked to give notes it was just sort of here's the script you want to do this movie but I, I do remember I think I do remember him on the set you know yeah I'm just fascinated by him too also uh Leonard Goldberg yeah. Uh, was he around a lot when you were working? Uh, yeah, he was around. I mean, it really, really kind of fell under him. He, you know, he, he sort of was the one that produced, I mean, he produced this. Right. So uh, it, it didn't really, it wasn't me producing it, even though it sort of fell into that deal I had. No, he was the guy and he continued on for decades. I mean, he, he's like one of the gods of television. Yes, he is. Yeah. Did you uh, get to know him at all or was he just sort of? Just a little bit. You know, just kind of hanging, you know, which is always nice and polite and friendly. And, and but it wasn't like we, we, we stayed close friends, you know, often sure. sometimes you do. You stay close friends, you know, forever. And most of the time, that's not necessarily what happens. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I met Amanda Weiss, uh, who is in the beginning of the film. It was either the first thing she did or one of the first things she did. And she said that um, when she was cast, Candy Spelling, Aaron Spelling's wife, took her out to buy stockings. For the role she, you know she wears these short shorts she told me the story about hanging out with candy spelling and was aaron spelling do you remember seeing him around i don't remember seeing him around i i don't and i ended up you know like shooting stars i ended yeah. up with, with aaron a lot even you know on melrose place and that's right savannah and uh models inc and all those shows that, that i worked with I, you know i worked with him a lot i i didn't i didn't know he was involved was he was it do spelling productions or something? Or? I don't think so, but but she told either. me the story, so that's why I made a note of it because it was um, it was curious to me, and it's a really great story. She loved candy spelling, and they spent a day shopping, you know. And I just don't know if he was there, and she offered to help or what, but she just had mentioned him to me, and so yeah. And I know he worked a lot with Leonard Goldberg, so I thought of you know maybe yeah. there's a spelling connection there. I don't yeah. know of. I I didn't I didn't I don't remember seeing spelling at all during the shoot, at least me okay um and so uh just a couple more questions so uh so i'm glad you rewatched the movie at least most of it um and i'm just curious like what your thoughts are of this house possessed like 40 years later what what do you think of the film delighted that that people still like it and ask about it i mean really i mean there's so much so many films that have been made just in these 40 years, if there's any kind of connection to it like that, it's really great. And and I, I'm grateful that it, it it's campy, but it's not way out there campy. It's not it's not super silly campy. It's sort of what's going on. And and that's because I think because of I think the director just made choices that kind of kept it in this kind of this category that, that makes it work all these years later, you know. Did you watch it when it originally aired? Uh yeah, and there probably was a screening. I mean, usually there was a screening for those things, and then they had press come, and you know, people do a red carpet thing. 
Oh, fun. In fact, I do remember a screening and I remember breaking into a cold sweat as soon as I started to sing. I think you're going to say that. Something <laughs> theater on Sunset Boulevard. And I was like, oh, oh this is rough. This is rough. I, I remember that. And that's, I think that's really the only time I've really broken into a cold sweat about my work. <laughs> I really talk about that. I've never had that before, but I remember, I remember at that screening just going, oh boy. I think you're being so hard on yourself for, for the for your singing because it's. I don't think I'm being too hard. <laughs> I don't. I don't know, but I mean, I think it's the song that everybody is. I think it's the lyrics to "Sensitive You're Not." You know that <laughs> people are like, "Okay, what is this?" You know, but I would, and the way you break into it too, like everybody's just waiting for him to do "Sensitive You're Not." Like all the people at the concert, they're just like, "He's going to do it, and it's going to be like the headliner," and I can't wait. I remember. I remember. The staging of it and being and coming in and 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 being said, well, you're gonna stand here in the middle. All these people are gonna be around you, and and they're all your fans. And I'm thinking, if they're really my fans, wouldn't they be like mobbing me? <laughs> wouldn't yeah. I be on a stage, be trying to touch me or get my? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Really, they're just gonna stand back while I stand. I thought this doesn't make sense to me, and I I think it really was just a question of well, you can you can surround me with people and it will look like there are thousands of people there. Yeah. <laughs> <Right. You've got> <laughs> <plenty>. <laughs> I think it really was probably a, just a logistical, how do I shoot this thing? than than anything, anything that made any sense at all. <laughs> was there any like choreography to that? Cause I know there must be sort of when you pass out, but like there's a little bit of dancing right before. Yeah. I don't think so. I don't think anybody <laughs> was helping me. <laughs> <laughs> they just threw you out to the woods and said, do no, it. I, think I was just hung out to dry there. Ah, be okay. <laughs> We're going to be close. No one's going to know. And they were close. It was a big wide shot. <laughs> and, that, and that physicality is, is, is part of what makes the difference between someone who really is a singer and they're comfortable on stage. I mean, The Voice is one of my favorite shows. I watch The Voice all the time because I'm, I'm just fascinated about people's ability to quickly assimilate gifts and skills about what their performance is. But you can tell right away when someone steps on stage and they're physically comfortable. Yeah. You know? I'm comfortable on stage in a straight role, but to, to come out and start moving around to sing. <laughs> <laughs> so, so you, you, you probably noticed that, that with all the musicals that I did following that and all the times that I got up and sang and performed, <laughs> that, <laughs> that that was sort of the gestation of all of those roles that came afterwards. <laughs> like, you know, I love it. I love it. And I guess you sort of answered my last question. Um, are you surprised that this film 40 years later has taken on a cult status? Totally. <laughs> yeah, totally. Totally. Because I forget. I, I really, really, honestly, I mean, I'm just trying to get through the day. <laughs> just trying to get through the day. Just trying not to get COVID. You know, yeah. just trying to stay healthy. Trying to stay well and happy and, and be a good friend and be a good dad. And so the last thing I'm doing is I, I forget people would, will come and give me a picture to sign. I, I'm like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> I remember. You know, I um... I think the thing about This House Possessed too that um is a testament to what a great film it really is is that it's never had a legitimate home video release and yet it has survived all this time in people's minds um as 
this film that they loved and i know some of them um now it's a little more accessible with youtube and and bootlegging and things like that and not that i condone that but um but it's easier to see now but for a long time it like just real briefly i'll just tell you my history with it so i saw it when it originally aired um it was a big deal at our house and the next day everybody was talking about the blood shower that was the big thing and um we, we couldn't believe it and then a couple years later, uh, it started to rerun on TBS every Halloween. And so there was a little stretch of time where uh, from like the late 80s into like the mid 90s, it was guaranteed to come on TV every year at least. And um, then that kind of ended when they started switching up their programming. And so I was left with a really bad VHS copy of it taped off TV that I couldn't even barely see the image because it was just such a bad recording. And I watched that for years until I could find a better copy of it, which I had to get off eBay. And there's not really like a perfect copy that I can find available anywhere. Yet, despite that, and I have a feeling that if the movie ever does come out on DVD or Blu-ray, which I hope one day happens, um, that people will see what a beautiful film it really is. And I don't know how well you remember, well, I guess you will rewatch it, but there's a scene, maybe it's the scene where you're practicing play me like a song uh be and you get your headache um before you're before tanya shows up and um the gate opens mm -hmm. and the camera pans in to you and it's one of the most beautiful shots i've seen in a tv movie the way it flows and the doors just kind of ghostly open as it lets the camera into the house and i think a better quality release of that would would really bring home uh, and you could tell me more, but it feels like there was a lot of care taken into the film in terms of like the visuals are very startling. And um, and I, I wish people would be able to see it properly, but but they can't. And even though they can't, we're all still like, so one of the people that I talked to 10 years ago when I did the 10 year anniversary, she made her sister a napkin where she embroidered you singing Sensitive You're Not. And I'll send you a photo of it. It's literally a, a yeah. picture of you that she embroidered on a napkin because her and her sister loved the movie. And that's the kind of effect it's had on people, right? And so here we are, 40 years later, no home video. And yet, uh, I mean, maybe I'm the loudest voice of it, but like, we're all still talking about it. And so there's no question to that. That was just sort of a long-winded statement to say, I'm so pleased that over the years I've been able to find people like myself to talk about this movie uh, with and to share how much we love it. And people are still discovering it think, thanks to the internet. Um, and wow. it has survived. Um, I don't know, obviously I think everybody will always think of the Hardy Boys uh, and probably Stroker Ace maybe when they think of you, but I think that this is high up for some of your most memorable filmmaking. Wow, wow. That's, that's amazing. And that's really sweet, all the things you just said. Um, all true. Most of the time when, when we work as actors, especially I don't do a lot of theater, which where you have that you have a real audience right there responding. My, my work has really been television and film. And usually you're on location or you're in a studio and you're just doing the work and the audience and the people that are seeing it in real time are the crew. Mm -hmm. And maybe there's a visitor on the set, but usually it's just whoever you're working with. And as you go from project to project, um, you're just you're just doing the work. And that the the sense of how an audience necessarily receives a project for me has always been very separate. You know, it's always been surprising because my experience of it is I go to work and I work through the day and you do your work and do your job and you go home and do the best you can and, and hopefully connect with it personally. But the audience reaction has always been very separate for me. 
Mm. Even the Hardy Boys, when that took off, we were, we were working away. And then one day I went to McDonald's and I ordered a burger and people were screaming. It was like, what is <laughs> so that's really sweet. I mean, I appreciate that because it really feels in some ways very separate. And yet also uh, a really nice validation of, of just the effort spent working, you know, and trying to do a decent job. So thank you. No, oh, absolutely. And I mean, everything I've seen you in has been great, but obviously this is the movie I hold closest to my heart. But um, it's just been so great to get some a little bit of backstory on it and um, to hear you talk about the. It sounds like it was a pretty friendly set and pretty yeah. amicable and fun. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and absolutely. Great. So it's a good memory. I think those are all my questions. I don't know if there's anything you wanted to add about making the film. A lot of times movies that you work on, like an example is when I, when I did a, a movie called Lifeguard. Yes. I, was, I was in college and I got you know, cast in that. And so I went out and I worked on it for 10 days and uh, went back to college and scrambled through my midterm final, midterm exams, which I hadn't, of course, prepared for because I was making a movie. And then that turned out to be this really lovely little movie. I mean, lovely little movie. And I was just, it was just a job. You know? This House Possessed is one of those movies that, okay, okay, this could be fun. This would be interesting. You know, and I like Lisa. And I was excited about William Ware, the director and all that. And, but then it, that it actually becomes something other than what I, my sense of it was, is, is really the surprise of it. And, and there were things I thought were going to be huge and no. <laughs> They disappear. <laughs> so I've learned not to prejudge too much something, to go for it, go in optimistically and do the best you can. And then all the other factors kick in, the timing, the marketing, the budget, the people involved. I mean, you know, you, you go make Michael Douglas made China Syndrome and then, you know, a week later, you know, <laughs> Three Mile Island melts down. You know, there's a lot of serendipity in all of it. So when something actually continues to have a life of its own, it's pretty amazing. Cool. Yay. Okay. So thank you so much, uh, Parker Stevenson, for joining me on this interview. I appreciate it so much. I just slept all the way from Sausalito to do this podcast. So I really hope you're excited to be here just like me because we are talking about my all-time favorite TV movie, This House Possessed, on the anniversary of its release, which is February 6, 1981. That means This House Possessed has turned a beautiful, well-aged 40 
this year. Just to give you a little bit of context for why I'm doing this this year, you know, 10 years ago when I was blogging a lot, I actually decided to do a 30 year anniversary of This House Possessed and a bunch of people sent in little like posts for me to share about why they love the movie so much. And there was a quite a few people. And, you know, at that time, I thought that I was kind of alone in my love of the film. I mean, to the passion, the sort of passionate love that I have for it. I know people like the movie. It was really nice and I made friends and there was some bonding and it was great. And so as the 40th anniversary started to come around, I thought, what can I do this year? Well, I'm not so much blogging anymore, but I do have a podcast. And wouldn't it be fun if we all sat around and talked about the movie and gave it a little love and um, shared it with people. And hopefully those who haven't seen the movie and are listening will check it out. And those who have seen it maybe will enjoy having us reminisce about it. But I got a little ambitious and I thought, what if I asked Parker Stevenson to talk about the movie? And so I contacted him and I'd met him a few years ago and he actually gave me his business card and he said if I want to talk to him about his TV movies to drop him a line and and I was always too afraid to because I love him, I love him, I love him. And I decided, why not, you know? And he was really sweet. He contacted me back and said, let's get together and do a Zoom chat and we'll talk about the movie. And so I spent this afternoon, a lovely, beautiful, bright blue amazing afternoon talking to the first boy I ever loved and the star of my favorite TV movie. And so, and he would, couldn't have been more charming or sweeter or thought more thoughtful. And so I'm really happy. And so you will have heard that first. And now here we are to talk about the movie. And so let me introduce my co-host, which I should have done before I went into my little intro, but I'm still shell-shocked from sitting in my kitchen looking at Parker Stevenson and having him answer my questions about this house possessed. It was the most exciting thing that ever happened. Okay. Hey, Dan, what's up? We shouldn't have done this episode. We shouldn't have done this episode. Why? I was going to actually, I was trying to decide how to uh, how to say hello to you. And I thought I'd do Margaret rather than saying oh. <laughs> Amanda sensitive, Amanda sensitive you are. Yeah, that's I couldn't sweet. decide which one to do. I thought I'd do the Margaret because I, I love that crazy lady in this film who constantly looks like she's about to pull a Scooby-Doo and rip a, rip a mask off or something like that. She's great. Yeah, that was Joan Bennett we're talking about. And we I will probably mm-hmm. talk about her makeup job in this film um, in a minute. Um, and we're also joined here by Nate. Hey, Nate, what's up? Hey, not much. Although I think the house that's possessed was kind of a cool house. <laughs> yeah, I think you're right. Agreed. I will say one of the things that Parker Stevens and I talked about was the house. Um, and he did an interview. So the only piece of production history that really exists on this house possessed is, is an interview that Parker Stevenson did that appeared in several newspapers, like the Associated Press or somebody did it and they syndicated it and different parts of the interview show up in different papers. And one of the things he talked about was, um, that one of the things that drew him to making the film was them shooting it in this house because he was an architecture major in college and um and the house fascinated him because it was contemporary and really amazing and and it was i can't remember the word he used but he was talking about like how mammoth the house itself was and they shot a lot of the film inside the house so those interiors are from the film and believe it or not the exterior at the end of the film is also at the house like they shot the fire and the house together and he'll talk a little bit about how they did that so i thought maybe they built some kind of weird set 
because it looks like they're burning down the house at the end of the film. But um, but no, they were able to shoot it on the set. And um, so anyway, he talked a little bit about that. And I think the house has been um, a big draw for a lot of people who remember the film because it's so unlike any house I think any of us have ever seen. Um, and so we will talk about that. But anyway, I'm already going off on a thousand different tangents. My brain is here and there because um, it's been quite a This House Possessed afternoon. So let's just go briefly into what the movie's about. So I'm just going to use my book here, and I'm not going to read my review, but there at the beginning of every review is a little like 20-word synopsis of the film, and we'll just start there. I have a feeling most people listening are probably already associated with the movie, but if not, it might be a little spoiler and I probably spoiled it when I said the house burns down but um there may be some other spoilers so you may want to listen to this after you see the movie but I highly recommend either way you seek this film it's a lot of fun so here's just the general synopsis of it a convalescing pop star and his nurse discover their dream home is less than perfect when it starts to pose disposing of its visitors um and that's basically what the film is and you know (laughs) I mean briefly it's about a guy who hires out a nurse to help him while he's recuperating from having like a act like I don't know what he has a breakdown at his concert and um, singing the infamous sensitive you're not which I know we will talk about and they end up just randomly at this house but it's actually not so randomly because this movie is actually like uh, it's two love triangles right it's the love triangle between the nurse that the pop star hires so uh, Parker Stevenson is Gary Strahorn I think is how you say the last name and Lisa Eilbacher is Sheila slash Margaret, and she goes by the name Sheila through most of the film. They meet, and they go to the house, but then they are greeted by, I guess they meet her earlier on, by Tanya, right, who is the craziest, campiest supermodel you've ever met. She wears crazy fur boas, and she sleps all the way from Sausalito, and she's kind of mean to Lisa Eilbacher, and she pops pills while she listens to... Uh, Gary play ballads and so that's the first love triangle but the second love triangle is between the house and Gary and Sheila and that might be the more interesting love triangle in a way because it's very similar in that it's jealous and it's bitchy and it's emotional like Tanya but it's also a lot more vengeful than she is and so the whole point of the film is why is the house in the middle of this love triangle right and what is it about Sheila that it's so fascinated by and why is she always being called Margaret? So that's like the general mystery of the film, right? That we have to unfold as it goes along. I told Parker Stevenson this and I can't, I don't know if it's going to end up in the interview or not because I gave a little precursor to it or I talked about it at some point, but I saw this movie when it originally aired. Um, it was a big deal because he was in it and because it was a horror film. And I told him that uh, in 1981, and my parents weren't like, hey, let's go see Friday the 13th, sweetheart. They were like, no, you can't see that. But if it's on TV, um, they thought, well, it must be okay to watch, you know, and and watch all the horror movies you want that are made for TV. And so that was my exposure to the horror genre. And it was a gateway to me. And I'd already been watching several horror movies on television at this point because I saw Gargoyles and um, Don't Be Afraid of the Dark when I was like four years old. So this is a few years after that. And so it was like this combination of, of one of my favorite actors and a horror movie. And I remember the next day, it aired on Friday night. And the next day, me and the kid who lives down the street from me, his name was Steve, we met up and we were like, dude, did you see the blood shower? That was bad. You know, that was kind of us at 10. And then the movie would rerun on TBS when I got older and I'd watch it there. And and then I started picking up bootlegs of it. And um, every bootleg was slightly better than the one I got before it because my first um, copy of it was almost unwatchable. 
but I watched it a hundred times anyway. And so this has been a movie that's been a big part of my life for a long time. I've always loved it. It's a comfort film for me now because it brings back a lot of memories for me. And I know that there's a fine line be between nostalgia and film criticism, but I do think that this film has a lot to offer now. And it's a worthy film in the history of the TV movie. Uh, I don't think Dan and Nate saw this one originally aired. Am I right? Right. You are right. I think Nate would have been zero or one or something anyway. So he may have seen it uh, and just doesn't remember. But I'm curious, do you guys remember the first time you saw it and what you originally thought of it? Uh, let's start with Dan. Yes, uh, it was, um, I want to say it was August or September 2015, I wow. think. And it was for a podcast I do called The Made for TV Mayhem Show. And the woman who's on the podcast uh, with myself and Nate, uh, I knew it was her favorite film and that she was going to pick it, so I watched it. So that's that's where I first saw it. I first saw it for our very first episode of this show wow. five years ago. Or so. And? Oh, I, I remember. I, I think I actually listened to a bit of the episode. And we, we talk a bit about it, so I'll try and I, I'll probably repeat myself. I apologize to anyone okay. who has, has has heard that. But um, I, I quite enjoy it. I um I watched it. I watched it once for that time and twice for this, oh. and so um, and I, I I quite I quite enjoy it. There there it's it's nice because there are little bits here and there that I didn't catch the first time, and um, uh, it's 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 um, I love the uh, the uh, the model character. She's great because the first time I watched the movie, I loved her. Schlepping around <laughs> and everything, and she was the one. I I think we talked about because um, you know Slim Pickens is in this, so you put Slim Pickens in a movie, it automatically gets elevated several levels. And she has the moment where she um, she arrives at the house, and and she she references. I, uh, I I didn't. I wrote the last time we talked about it. I I I wrote it down, and it was she mentions. Um, uh, Mr. Something or Other Tracer of Lost Pop Stars or something like that. You know, how did you find me? Oh, I just talked to your manager, Mr. Whatever Tracer of Lost Pop Stars, which is a reference to, that's not quite what she says, but it's a reference to Mr. Keen Tracer of Lost Persons, which was a not very good, but entertaining like 1940s, 1950s radio show about mm -hmm. a guy who found missing people. How you doing? <laughs> I got goodies for you. Now, don't get started. I know you volunteered to be alone, but I couldn't help myself. I just had to see you. Tanya, how did you find me? Your manager, Mr. Keene, tracer of lost singers. I told him I'd turn off his pacemaker, but he didn't give me your address. <laughs> and so I remember when I first watched it, I, I love that she mentioned that, that she somehow this pill-popping, crazy, slightly crazy model knew and made an immediate reference to a like a 1940s radio show. And it's, it's, it's weird, though, because um, two of the times I watched it, I, I loved her. And then one of the times I didn't because she's mean to Lisa Eilbacher. Yeah. And I just, I couldn't get over it. I don't know why that was, but I won't tell you whether it was the second or third time I watched it. But, but one of the times I was like, I don't like you and I cannot wait for you to take a shower. And that's, <laughs> I, I think, it, I think it's nicely set up as uh, it's, I love, I love the concept of the house watching over us all kind of thing. And, and some, I don't know how the house does assembles everything the way it does but i really 
I really like I really like this thought of this like computer or whatever it is sitting at the center of this house, this force or whatever, just controlling everything and bringing everything into line and all the TV monitors go on when it, it wants to see something and then it's making phones ring and it's attacking Amanda Weiss with a hose, you know, and it's just I, I love all these um, these little moments and and to the fact that you think Parker Stevenson seems to be the main character in the beginning, but he's actually not. And it becomes less of the main character yeah. as the film goes along, although he's still hunky. Don't get me wrong. Don't get me wrong. But uh, <laughs> I, I think it's I think it's a lot of fun. I, I you know me, my favorite era of of TV movies is before this, and this is starting to wander into the area where I think of TV movies mainly as being a miniseries. Mm. But I, I quite like this one, and it's got some it's got some um, rather violent moments and um, some good creepy bits and some nice relationship moments. And, and, and it moves, uh, it moves at a nice pace and it has, I think it resolves itself nicely. Although I did for some reason this time when I was watching um, Joan Bennett's character, I did keep thinking she was going to say something like at one point, like Margaret, you shouldn't have come here because the, the person who designed the house doesn't want you here, and I'm the person who designed the house. And oh. she pulls off a mask and suddenly is a man or something like that. You know, that's what I kept thinking because of her makeup this time. I don't know why. It makes sense because it's a crazy makeup job. Like it's it's jarring. It's, it's yeah, and um and it's strange too because they you you she pushes this um shopping cart around they said you know she goes to some shack where she has all the garbage but like the place she lives on is it reminded me of um I don't know if you've ever seen the second X-Files movie which I'm now forgetting the name of it's the one where they they they're hunting down some it's the second one and when uh, Scully goes mm-hmm. to see Mulder, Mulder lives like in a in a building in in a house in the middle of nowhere that looks a lot like where that lady lives. Yes, right. And I thought, does Mulder live? With, is that Mulder <laughs> <laughs> investigating something um, early on in his career? But um, but yeah, overall, I think it's um it it is not it is not um I would not say it's my 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 one of my favorites, but it's quite good. And I, I, I did enjoy watching it twice over the past, like, three days. Awesome. Nate, do you remember the first time you saw this house possessed? Uh, I don't. It's been a really long time, though, ago. It's been a many air ago. <laughs> but I will say that the couple in the beginning, they were a little more afraid of a water hose than I probably would have been. <laughs> yeah. Um, but now nothing was holding the hose. So I guess, you know, that might have been scary. Uh, Tanya's my favorite character in the movie. I absolutely adore her. I think she is amazing. Um, and I know she's she's mean, I know, but she just reminds me of like, you know, like an Erica Kane like kind of diva from like a soap opera. Mm, and I'm like, yeah. I just love it. I love it. That that campiness <laughs> is amazing. I did feel bad for her when she had to get the blood shower. I know that that um, you know, messed up her hair and stuff. Really good. <laughs> um, I want to know why there's not more Tanya cosplay in this world because I think that like fur thing she wears around her neck when she first shows up and the yeah, like those pants and I mean I really feel like we could make the most of 
Tanya's wardrobe in this film if we really put our hearts and minds in it. I like how she just wasn't she's she's definitely not afraid to speak her mind and say whatever she is thinking because (laughs) her first encounter with the nurses i mean she's being mean right off the bat pretty much like and like the nurse or or lisa albarker's character was just like uh well you can slap back home for a couple (laughs) more days Which I thought was funny. What do you mean I can't see Gary? I'm sorry, miss, but those are the doctor's orders. Fine, you follow them. Me, I'm going to see Gary. Miss, you can't go in there. Watch me. What's the trouble? I told her she couldn't see Mrs. Bayhorn. And she won't pay any attention. Look, I'm a good friend of Gary's, and I just schlepped all the way in from Sausalito. Well, then I suggest you schlep all the way back, at least for two more days. Hey, Florence Nightingale, I'm going into that Oh, no, you're not. You planning on stopping? No, not me, him. And you know something? I think he'd enjoy it almost as much as I would. I love the scene where the gate's crushing the car. Yes. Yes. Really cool. That was a very cool moment. But yeah, and the house itself, I think, is very fun. Because to me, it's like the house is a character in the movie in and of itself. It's sort of like how the car in Christine is um, a character. Yeah. Yeah. Um, just like this house is because the house, you know, loves um, Margaret, as it were. But anyway, no, I, I really uh, enjoy the film. Um, I think you both already know that my favorite made-for-TV movie is still Home for the Holidays. Yeah. But this house possessed is a lot of fun. Um, I think it moves by at a pretty brisk pace. There's not a lot of downtime, really. I mean, even when nothing like scary is necessarily going on. I mean, come on, you've got Tanya. To hang out with, <laughs> and her like, like totally, I'm better than you attitude that she has. Now the actress that played Tanya, have either of you seen Class Reunion? Um, I have seen it, but National not for Oaks? a long time. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I just watched that recently. Is that? Oh yeah, that's her. The blonde. The blonde. I was yeah. about to ask you, is that her? Is that yes. Okay. It is okay. Wow. Okay. Okay. I was just curious because I love that movie. I, I, I always. So I don't want to go off on a tangent, but just as a <laughs> quick side note, I always love the scene where they sing Stop in the Name of Love together. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I really enjoyed This House Possessed, and I knew we were going to cover it or discuss it, you know, in depth eventually. So. Yeah, yeah, I know. I'm yes. kind of glad I held off on it because I think it'll be nice to have this like special kind of tribute to it on its 40th. And I can't believe it's 40 years old. It's been so amazing. I can remember the first viewing like it was yesterday. But something um, you said about her and class reunion, um, the actress's name is Shelley Smith. And what's interesting, and I asked Parker about it. I don't think he knew her very well. But like, um, you know, she only acted for like a decade. And then she dropped out and she's working in like, um, she owned a surrogacy company for a while she would help women have babies and she also i think was a family counselor and um i don't know if she's doing either still but she um she's has a really interesting personal life and you can look her up and stuff but um i was shocked when i saw that when i was prepping for this episode i didn't pull a lot of background up i just got some basics but i looked her up and she literally acted from like 1979 to something like 1991 or 1990 and for me shelly smith was so prevalent on television in that decade that i thought she'd been acting for like four decades you know what i mean and she did so much As a matter of fact i'm closing my eyes and i can see her in a magnum pi i remember her from a heart to heart she was in all kinds of stuff she just popped up for for a decade she just filled the screen and so it was interesting that she's been 
not acting for so long because to me she's been acting this whole time because I guess because I watch a lot of retro TV I just see her constantly and she's great in everything she's stunning I think she started as a model obviously she's pretty tall too and um, she's just a scenery chewer in this I don't think she's like this in everything and she just commands the screen when she comes on in the scenes that she's in but one of the things I wrote in my review that I kind of like looked back on and thought yeah I think I still feel that way is that I talk about how the house literally spits her out you know what I mean like mm, he does yeah. it he wants to get rid of her and so or he it wants to get rid of her and it, it feels like it's literally spitting her out of the house and it's amazing that she survives um I know I yeah. I think it partially has to do or it has less to do with the house wanting to kill people who are interested in Gary as much as it wants to kill the people who might reveal the secret of who Sheila is. So I think yeah. that the house wants to keep the secret more than anything else. Although he does act like it. I keep calling him he. It acts like <laughs> it's playing matchmaker too, right? Because at the beginning of the film, you know, it's watching Gary singing. And it feels mm-hmm. like it's orchestrating the breakdown so that he'll end up at the hospital with Sheila. And the, and yes. and I guess it's predestined because they go to that... Um, that place to look at the blueprints, the archives, and and they open up the blueprint and the house is theirs. Do you remember that when they're mm-hmm. after the funeral? And so it's like, it's really interesting. But I, so I guess the only reason why she survived was that she wasn't a threat to the actual secret. Do you know what I mean? Yes, that I'm, was my thought. Yeah. yeah, that's the best I could. I could. So what you're saying is this house is smart. It's super yeah. smart. And very calculating. <laughs> and, but I think she's being mean to Margaret yeah. or... Sheila, Sheila. And, and, and so it's not good. So so eject her out there. Whereas the librarian actually knows something. Yeah. And that's why that's why she has to be burned to death so horribly. It reminded me of like Meg Ryan. Is it Meg Ryan which in Amityville three D yeah. is she the one who gets burned horribly I, in the car? Oh, is that it's Candy Clark? Is it Candy? Oh, was that, I'm sorry, was it Candy Clark? Yeah, I think I, I can't remember now. Just, yeah. But who yeah, the scene in Amityville three D where like the woman gets horribly, horribly burned in the car. The, this the the scene in this one reminded me of that and I thought, that's horrible. That's a horrible way to die. Trapped in the car, just burning to death with people stabbed to press the heck out of myself. Sorry, I'm gonna back away. Well, you know, I'm glad you brought up that scene because when i rewatched this movie for this episode uh i i was thinking how of all the murders that one's the most harrowing to me because they keep cutting to her in the car screaming and it's really freaky because it's it really puts you in her place in a lot of ways and for to have that on tv is really shocking to me i used to think that the old lady the bag lady's death was the most horrifying because the way she falls in the pool and her makeup is so strange and they and you can see her yeah. face underwater but it's really it's kay callen in the in the car that's like so upsetting to me and the other death i love i guess there's three in it right oh, yeah. Is, yeah is slim pickens death because yes. i love the breathing mirror Yes, and I nice, yeah. and it's also really shocking that when he gets killed by the shard of glass, you see it. Yes, it's it's pretty g- g- brutal. Yeah, it is. For, uh, for well, wasn't it a little unfair though? Because he just wanted to fix it. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. It was it was totally unfair. I would say most of the deaths were unfair. No, Nate. I mean, I might. Say Although that. I will say that the drowning death, that woman, uh, what is her name? Does she? Have, uh, I think she's, she's just a bag, bag lady. lady, yeah. Okay. She scared me. Yeah. I found her to be very scary and creepy. Yeah. 
if if I was uh you know Sheila and she was coming up to me like that, I would be like, oh my goodness, who are you? Please, please, please yes. go away. You're scaring the heck out of me. <laughs> <laughs> did you did you know that was Joan Bennett? No, I didn't. Isn't I did she not, from yeah. Dark Shadows? Yeah, and yeah. Suspiria. Yeah. And and um and I, I was thinking when Dan was talking about her, I think the makeup for I'm guessing for the filmmakers was cut probably kind of important because Joan Bennett's so beautiful in real life mm-hmm. and um and she aged beautifully I mean she was just a beautiful woman and I just maybe they just thought she wasn't scary enough but the way the makeup has been like sort of layered on top of layers it looks like it's it's really just disturbing <laughs> You know, it's just, there's so many things about this movie. And the other thing that I, I noticed, it, obviously it has night scenes and deaths that happen at night. But a lot of the film also takes place in daylight, which I really love. And um, and I always love horror movies that are kind of bold enough to let kind of let things unravel in the daytime. And so like, but those moments are more toned down. So like, some of my favorite scenes in the movie are like... Well, first of all, she brushes her hair a lot, and it made me think of Psycho Cop. Do you remember the girl in Psycho Cop who's constantly brushing her hair? (laughs) It made me think of her because she's brushing her hair while she's walking through town at one point. And I'm like, really, Sheila? Mm -hmm. But like, she wears an awful lot of yellow, and we can talk about that later. But she, um, (laughs) but she is brushing her hair, and she hears her name, or she hears the name Margaret, and she goes, and there's that doll. It's just the Raggedy Ann doll in the closet. And and then the screen kind of lights up real bright, and then it goes to its regular color again. And I love that. It's such a it's such a simple thing, but it really sets the tone of like the film, you know. And so it's got all these so it's got all these these brutal moments, but it also has a lot of really nice, just creepy things happening, yes. you know, throughout the film. I always love when horror movies set, you know. Um, up scenes like during the day some of my favorite horror movie scenes actually take place in the daytime you know like the ice skating scene in curtains i mean that's daytime but i mean it's just as scary to me um and in this movie i mean the water hosing took place in the day Mm -hmm. um yeah yeah. when you know they she got sprayed now you said that was amanda weiss weiss yeah very cool very cool i did not know that I learned something every episode. Yay. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. I just real briefly, I met her too, and she signed my script. But uh, uh, I didn't get a chance to contact her for this episode, but I'd like to have her on because we talked about her after-school specials and stuff. But um, she told me, and, and Parker Stevenson said he didn't remember seeing Aaron Spelling on the set, but Candy Spelling supposedly took her shopping for the nylons that she wears under her shorts and that they spent a day shopping, and she told me Candy Spelling was amazing. So that's the story she told me about <laughs> this house possessed. I was going to say one of my one of my uh, horror movies I absolutely love uh... Uh, the Redeemer class mm. reunion match. Oh, that's right. Takes place oh, takes place during. I mean, every time they cut outside, uh, uh, they show the outside of the building. It's it's generally. I think it's daylight the whole time. I don't think the sun ever goes down. Yeah, they don't because during that right at the end there when the lawyers in the in the, like the old it's library. Daytime. It's daytime. Yep, it's like daytime the whole time, which is really great because um, the place is so dark. But all the windows, this light kind of seeps in. It's, it's really that that's a great. It's very unnerving to it me. Is. It is. It is. It is. It's a it's a hell film. Yeah, hell of a weird film. Yeah. And um, yeah, I like I like daylight. I'm thinking of a bunch of them now. But also, what <laughs> it made me think of was um, I believe it's called. It's got two titles. I think it's the house that screamed, right, with Robin Strasser. Yeah. And it's you know that house 
is so strange to me. It's nothing like this house. It's not as opulent. It's big. But I don't know if you guys remember the thing about that house that really got to me is that it's located in sort of this patch of grass where there's no road to get to the house. So I don't know how yes. people get to it. And I guess you just park down the road and you walk up. But it, it really, like, disturbed me for some reason because the house is just kind of exists in this weird place. Right the house is, in the space. Yeah. 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 And, uh, and the thing about this house possessed that I like is that – it's so big that you're you're never quite sure what room you're in. Like she's walking through halls and one yes. of the halls looks like it's kind of outside. Like she's walking by columns and she could be outdoors. And then there's another hall that's really long in the house. And and it's it's really upsets your sense of space. And um, and it does a really good job of doing that. Like that house. So the house was designed by a guy named Fred Briggs. And I was looking him up today and I didn't pull a bio on him or anything. But it looks like the house that they shot this in went for sale in 2018. And it, they reduced the price. It was originally like $82.5 million. And then they lowered it to 28.5, which makes it much more affordable. And I think I'm going to put a bid on it. But, um, <laughs> you know, but like there were some beautiful pictures of the house. And I believe it's the same house. And um, and it's got the indoor pool and those really long hallways. And um, yes. there's just something really neat about the house. And I love taking a movie that's got like a old school gothic kind of story because there's literally a scene of her in her nightgown walking through like a windy mm -hmm. night that's very old school gothic Cat but, the canary, yeah, sorry, yeah. Yeah, yeah but it's done in this really modern house and so it's it's kind of creating also like a sense of unease with that because you're watching something that should be in a victorian house in this like totally upscale creation mm -hmm. and so it does it's it's really playful with its tropes right because it's it's doing things that you think should be happening at night and it's also like doing things that should be happening in a different type of house and and it's playing with these ideas to update them for the 80s you know which would get which would be i wouldn't get it would become really obsessed with technology as we're moving kind of into the computer age right mm -hmm. and so because there's this great charlie's angels it was in the fifth season and i don't remember the whole story but i think there was like a computer and it was like it was like hypnotizing you or something like that do you remember this one Oh. <laughs> it, I can't remember, but the computer was involved in doing some kind of mind control or something like that, if I remember correctly. And so there was stuff like that happening in the early 80s that was really fascinating. Like, what is technology going to do to us that mm -hmm. may seem really quaint yeah. now, it, but not it, then? It was that it was that weird space where they thought, like, um, uh, computers, what were the computers going to do? They're going to do everything. In some respects, they do, but but not, not quite in the way we thought. Yeah. I, I, I always think of... Um, what I was thinking of during this sometimes, and this is maybe not um, quite right, but the movie Nightmare Weekend, oh, which yeah. has this, cr oh. which, which has this crazy computer that controls this house and does. And there were a couple moments where I thought, um, when Slim Pickens was going to get killed, I thought like at one point, like you know, because in Nightmare Weekend the computer turns objects into these little silver balls. And they fly in your mouth. I know that sounds a little weird. And they turn you into like zombies for for a split second when the when the um, mirror was vibrating. I thought like the glass of booze that like uh, Slim Pickens had or something nearby him was going to turn in one of those little silver balls. The the only thing this is missing in night in Nightmare Weekend conduit for the computer is a little hand puppet named George. And I was and my dog just looked at me because his name is George. I know George. <laughs> not not you but um i was hoping i was hoping at the end of the movie there'd be just a moment we saw like a little hand puppet looking at the 
looking at the TV screens and hitting some little buttons or something like that. But I, one of the things I love about 80s movies is this – like in, in like the 60s and 70s when you had computer – they were these huge, you know, the reel-to-reel things filling up rooms, and um, they were things like Demon Seed and Hal in 2001. But then when the 80s hit, you got personal computers and stuff like that. They, there was just this, these all these wonderful movies were just like, computers could do anything, you know? And, and it's just, you know, I'm, I type this, like, it's it's crazy. You know what, you know yeah, what I yeah. mean? It's just like, it's, it's, just, it's just so much fun to think of what we thought they were going to do as compared to what they can do. Mm. And um, this, this is a fun one to think that, um, cause you keep, you keep expecting maybe that there'll be a moment where you see someone behind it, or maybe even like, you'll see like uh, when the movie ends, like you, you'll see like one of the screens is everything's on fire. And then the camera will pull back in a room and you'll see like maybe in an old chair, like a skeleton or something, yeah. sitting oh, chair awesome. or something like that, like the spirit, this spirit that's been controlling, but it isn't, it's the house, it's the computers, I think that are doing, I, I don't know, but, uh, but that's one of the part of the fun, one of the fun things of the film. It, it made me think of, um, electric dreams because, oh, uh, sure. cause yeah. you know, electric dream, electric dreams is an amazing film, but like in that movie, the computer falls in love with Virginia Madsen, but for the computer, which is becoming more human through love has to finally reach that apex of humanity by letting her go right i mean that's what the crux of that film is about about what does it mean to love and to let go and and that's what makes us people and human this movie doesn't do that but but it's interesting that the house they call it this house possessed but the house isn't really possessed by anybody it's it, it's 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 a living organism that's separate right from yes. humans and it's not really a spirit it's the house. I don't know how else to describe it. The house is a living organism. And like, like an artificial intelligence kind of somehow yeah. or, or something possibly. Yeah. yeah, but it's also, but somehow along the way it's developed emotion, but it supposedly developed the emotion because it was so loved that it, it learned love and then it fed it back. Right. But then that love became, it was like, it's like, um, like a teenager in a way, because it's like, it's like so emotional about everything that happens right like it's like it's going oh, yeah yeah you know it's really i like that yeah. it's really bitchy like like it loves so much <laughs> that it's super sensitive to everything and then that's what kind of feeds it into doing these things without yeah. thinking that's a bad idea house you probably shouldn't do that and i like it if they if they made one like this house possessed again or something this house <laughs> you know 20 years later maybe the um the computer would have matured and would be like an adult or, or something like that. Maybe it had been less of like, you know, like the, the moment um, the, the two of them start fooling around in bed, you know, it starts phones ringing and all sorts of things happening to the, you know, knock it off. But I, I, I like the thought if there were a sequel and maybe they rebuilt on the um, space, you know, they built a new house on it and the spirit came back. And now it was an adult. It was a grown-up spirit, and maybe it was vengeful. Maybe it was more fun. Maybe, but less sort of like a petulant teen, but more more mature adult. Although most adults are. Pretty but petulant. what if what if it just smoked a lot and drank tab? I like what if it was like Archie Bunker, but a computer. <laughs> Eat it. I just said that all the time. Eat it. Yeah. Stifle it. Yeah, they might. <laughs> that's right. Yeah, that might not be as compelling. But like, um, <laughs> but it's interesting because it's not. There's. It's just a. It's its own organism, and so it's fascinating to me because, like, for instance, like when I think of haunted houses, it's usually like a person, 
that's inhabiting the house yes. or a poltergeist of some kind but this isn't necessarily a poltergeist so it's it's a really interesting take on houses pretty i'm not houses on haunted houses and it's yes. it's fairly unique in that yeah. way you know what i've i've written down here solar panels there's that scene where the guy is fixing mm-hmm. something at the house Feeny. and um and he fixes the solar panels and then when he kind of jumps down off from where he is, the camera kind of slowly pulls it in on the panels. Mm. And you think, is it the sun? Is the sun doing oh. this? It's. I like the fact that it pulls in on it because I sat there going, why are you tracking in on the solar panels? I know that's where the house gets a lot of its energy from. So I guess that's important. But I felt like there was something else there. Uh, but I, I wasn't quite sure. Oh, that's really interesting. Because, you know, one of the things I talked to Parker Stevenson about was some of the camera work. And um, I, I was really, like, into... There's this one scene, every time I watch the movie, I, I'm just, like, it's hypnotic to me. I'm going to compare it to a scene from Deep Red, per, uh, Profundo Rosso, here in a second. But... Um, but only tangentially. So there's that scene when he's writing that song uh, that he says is going to be our song to Sheila when um, he gets this headache and the camera starts like sort of at the outside of the house and the gates just kind of open on their own and the camera just goes kind of pans down the hallway uh-huh. and then it goes to him playing the piano. And um, it's such a beautiful camera shot that it always makes me stop for a second. And I, all I want to do is just kind of live inside that camera shot, but it's, <laughs> it, you're right. It's showing these kind of moments where the house is sort of alive, right? Cause the mm-hmm. gates open on its own. And then I guess I never paid attention to the solar panels but the idea of it tracking and trying to let you know that it's it's feeding on something right and and so that's really interesting because that's a human thing um but what it made me think of is you know that scene in profundo russo when he drops the needle on the record and then the camera Mm -hmm. kind of follows the record going around that's like i could live inside that scene for the rest of my (laughs) life it's just such an amazing camera shot and this this is for me it's the same thing so but um, yeah, so I guess there's probably more camera shots like that that I just haven't noticed that next time I'll pay more attention to where it's trying to give us this sort of um, sense of uh, it being alive. But I, I love that. I, I, I love the concept, yeah, that, that it's like it's doing these things. That if, if you catch it, you catch it. If you don't, you don't. It, it doesn't matter. But it's, it's like it, it, because the, 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 the house the house is in front of us the entire time i was going to say but you, since you can't see the house but you can see the house the entire time but, but but to make it a character you it does all they all these little things and tracking on the solar panels and tracking it on slowly into mirrors and things like that it's all these little bits just like when the mirror cracks at the yeah. one point there you know it's all these these little moments that are um just kind of these cool things to say and there's another there's another character here you may not be able to see it him her but it, there is another character here, and he's super pissed off. He's he's cheesed. He he really likes Margaret, and why not? You know, <laughs> she's lovely. You know, it, yeah, yeah. It's a, it's better than having like it. It's better than like say if if Margaret went back to like the house in Silent Night, Bloody Night, and there was a crazy person running around with an axe in there. You know, this is this is a little more um, subtle. I wish yeah. my house loved me. Maybe it does, Nate. Yeah, you don't know. Well, but, uh, you know, I've told it, you know, I love you, house, but it hasn't said anything <laughs> back or killed anybody for me. <laughs> That's a disappointment. You know? That's a disappointment. Have you had any relatives rush out, uh, you know, at a, at a moment's notice or anything like that? Or No, nothing like that. Oh, oh that's weird. Huh. 
I know. Keep an eye out for cameras tracking in on random portions of your house that you don't understand. Well, I have left the hose alone, and I've uh, checked the ring camera because nobody was out there just to see if it moved by itself. <laughs> so far, no luck. You you need to get two horny teens to make out in front, though, because otherwise it won't do anything. That's probably what's missing. <laughs> And I, I like to if the, like if if this were if this were an R-rated film at the time or something like that, um, there's every good chance there would have been acid in the hose. But because it's a <laughs> well, you TV movie, it's you know what you said though. If this was an R-rated ah! movie, if this was an R-rated movie, there would have been acid. And I thought oh, you were just going to say ass, and I was like, okay, where are we going with this? Yeah, yeah. yeah. But uh, why would they put acid in the hose? I mean, aren't you supposed yeah, to ingest I, that? I don't know. I <laughs> true. Well, you could spray it on them like. Uh, like a shower like in um like in like a slaughter high or uh, island of blood kind of uh, oh you're talking about like burn the acid that burns yes yes i, got yes. You. Okay. I, got you. Yeah. <laughs> I was gonna say yeah, yeah. are you trying to put logic into it because they haven't added any logic to the the tv movie version of it so why would the theatrical <laughs> although it does have its own strange sense of logic i think i think what i like about it too is that it's it's not trying it's not too convoluted like it's very much a love story which is one of my favorite parts of it. I love the romance because uh, Parker Simpson always was a great romantic lead, clearly. And um, and he has a lot of chemistry with Lisa Eilbacher, who he'd worked with on the Hardy Boys, and they were friendly. And um, and it's a nice romance, which I always appreciate. But then the only other thing that's going on in the movie is unraveling the mystery of the house. So it's not getting caught up in all this minutia or 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 trying to like overwrite the story or anything like that. It's very much from point A to point B. And, um, and I love that you can just sit back and kind of let it unfold and it, it completely unfolds for you. So even though the story is crazy, it's not trying to create crazy logic to make it make sense. It's just letting it happen. And it's just letting you kind of fall into the universe of the film, which, you know, I think some films sometimes overthink, uh, their, um, stuff that they know is crazy. And so they try to create science or something to make it more, um, realistic, but sometimes you just need to like, let the movie be the movie. Yes. Yeah. I just want it to be crazy. Yeah. Yeah. And, just and, do your thing. and it works better that way. And one of the things Parker Stevenson said was he thought it was kind of a campy film, but also that they played it straight. And I think that helps too. They mm -hmm. took everything very seriously. And a matter of fact, I was thinking, it occurs to me that she doesn't really even think about what's happening in the house outside of the murders in that she's trying to figure out what the connections are, but they're at Slim Pickens' funeral. He starts to put stuff together. And I remember she's got her hand on her hip and she's like, what, what is that? You know what I mean? Like the way they start to yeah. like come to the idea that something is happening is very kind of organic, you know, and it's well done. You know, in all the years we were together, I never told him that I loved him. Oh, he knew. What the hell is going on? What are you talking about? I just don't understand it. You don't understand what? I don't know. There's no pattern, no logic. Two people are dead. Oh, honey, those were accidents. Oh, come on. What happened to Arthur was no accident. Yeah, but the police said... I don't care what the police said. He didn't just fall into that mirror. Well, well he could have. He'd been drinking. The coroner said there was barely any alcohol in his system. Well, then how do you explain it? I don't. Any more than I can explain what happened to Tanya. Or the librarian. Gary, are you saying someone... somebody's doing this to us? Gary, who? 
No one I know. Maybe someone you knew, an old boyfriend? No, I didn't even leave a forwarding address. Nobody knows where I am. Well, maybe it has something to do with whoever lived in that house before. Yeah, and their hands are kind of wrapped around each other's waists and things in a very elaborate fashion, <laughs> which I like. Did you think I, you have chemistry with Tanya? Well, everybody has chemistry with her. Yeah. I mean, how could you not? She just the way she walks. And she was scary. Like, she's one of those kind of women that I love and, I, and I'm terrified of it. She's like the Courtney love of this house possessed, you know, like, mm-hmm. like the woman who doesn't really have an off button or a sensor button. And she's yes. great in small doses. But if like you had to spend more than like a day with her, you'd probably claw her eyes out. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? She's the perfect, um, you know, friend for brunch. <laughs> yes we'll go out for brunch we'll gossip talk about you know um our love lives and all that good stuff she could tell me about parker stevenson <laughs> one of the things i brought up to him that i thought was that i love is when he's playing that song for her um she's the way she's like got her back arched against the piano and she's popping the pills and everything it's just so beautifully done like everything about that character is so big and mm-hmm. she plays it that way and but doesn't do it to the point where she's obnoxious she's never obnoxious she's just terrifying because you know she's just going to say whatever's on her mind and she's not always nice about it and so like when she does these moments they're so big but they're also like really well done you know like the actress is so good in the part i keep thinking about the part where well first of all she's like she tells uh Sheila, she's like, you know, my luggage is out there. Could you take it into my room? And you see yes. Sheila carrying these giant, heavy pieces of luggage, which is hilarious. It's a really cute little funny moment in the film. And then she's changing, Tanya is, and she turns around and I can't remember the exact dialogue, like how she says it, but she's like, I know I spend half of, I know I spend most of my career half naked, but I don't normally do it in front of the help. Nice. You got to be a homeowner. This is definitely the way to do it. <sighs> Look, um, I'll get you some towels and sheets are clean. Don't sweat it. I don't plan on sleeping in this room anyway. Oh, wait a minute. You are just his nurse, aren't you? Yeah, I'm just his nurse. I mean, if you got something going with them, uh... No, uh... Look, uh, he's been sick. No problem. Just watch old Tanya perk him up. I'm going to take me a steam in Gary's bathroom and get the road dirt off. Oh, uh, do you mind, sweetie? I mean, I know I make my living standing around half naked, but I don't like to do it in front of the help. <laughs> and you're yeah. like, okay, I give you a point because that's really, really, really bitchy, but also that's mean. Don't do that to Sheila. But it's such a great... And actually, you know, it's funny because it's kind of moving to me. And maybe because I've been there all these years later, I've started to experience some of these things that maybe Sheila has gone through in terms of when she's at the house and he's playing the song for her and she's taking all the pills and you see Sheila laying in bed crying. Mm-hmm. And you know that feeling when you really like somebody and you just she, don't yeah. think they're interested. And it's just so well done. And Sheila can probably hear that moment when um, the the model gal reaches and uh, rips uh, uh, Parker Stevens' shirt open. She can, I bet oh, she can hear right. the buttons pop. That's right. I forgot about that. And she's like, it's already, she, he's already seen that for him. And then all of a sudden, pop, 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 damn it. Oh, come on. Oh. 
<laughs> yeah, it's kind of a heart wrenching moment. She's such a great. She, I really like Sheila. Um, she's mm-hmm. she's. I think Lisa Eilbacher is great in the lead. Um, she's beautiful, uh, but she's got a very girl next door persona, and she she fits the role really well. Like you could see her as a nurse. And and she fits in kind of the everyday role, too, very well. And it's interesting because she had a really amazing career in the 80s because, you know, she's in Tender Midnight and she's also in Beverly Hills Cop. She's the lead in, a leading lady in Beverly Hills freaking cop. The, yeah. the number one movie in 1984. Yeah. Yeah. So like, so like, I mean, she's a star. And so she has a lot of presence in this film. And uh, but it's also really subtle. And so she just has like a likable. She's like the Sandra Bullock of this house possessed. Like she just has a really likable quality that that translates very well mm-hmm. in the film and so you're you're with her the whole way you know what i mean and um and her character is actually really interesting because there's layers to her trauma that we that gets slowly revealed right like we hear it at the beginning where she has no memory of her childhood up to a certain age or whatever and then when she is um talking to gary and he's asking her about her life and she's you can tell she doesn't really know what she's saying she's like oh my dad was a doctor you know sure mm-hmm. and um and then when she tells him what's happening and it all kind of unfolds really nicely that you kind of get a real sense of like tragedy with the character as well you know plus she's got that great phone call at the beginning with whoever her boyfriend is and it's that great line where she says um you can be married or divorced but you can't be one of each in a in the relationship she's in you know indicating that he's married and so like it also gives you this idea that she's been getting into like these kind of not great relationships but ones that she knows are not going to go anywhere you know, and so they kind of help her with this dealing with her life, you know, and not feeling like she belongs in the world or whatever. So it's it's actually a really well drawn out character, too. You know, like there's just a lot going on. Like I've seen this movie a thousand times. So I know <laughs> once you do that, you start to like, I don't know if I'm projecting or whatever, but I kind of feel like there's a lot going on there that can be unearthed if you want mm-hmm. to see it. You know, mm-hmm. yeah, I think especially the um, the the um, if if the house is planning everything for moment one. That's a heck of a long game and complicated game that a house is do- a house that can't get <laughs> up and move is, is playing. I, even after three times, I still find that, that the opening moment when the camera, so, so yeah, he chases those pesky kids away with the whole, or it chases the pesky kids away. With, I, I like that it it's willing to kill when it has to, but if a couple of kids want to goof around on the lawn, m- maybe some other time it would have let them goof around. But today it's like, no, nah, I got other stuff to do. Parker Stevenson's doing a show on ABC <laughs> and yeah. I got to watch that. I can't, I can't divide my time. So you got to get sprayed, get out of here. I'm going to watch Parker on TV. And I just love that, that, that scene where the camera is slowly panning through the, um, I guess the computer room or whatever it is where everything's covered and the monitors are there and you just hear Parker Stevenson singing for like a minute and the camera's just moving like, what's going on? Where is he under one of these sheets? Where, where is he? What's going on? And then the camera goes up to the TV and you're like, okay. And you really do think at first, well, I mean, you're, 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 you're led to that. Um, oh, this, this, this house is really adores the, the light pop of Parker Stevenson. And or uh, you know the um, the soft oh, rock the name of the, so the soft rock of, of Parker Stevenson, but you you know in the end that it's got a much longer game that it's playing, and he's the main pawn, or I, I don't yeah. know that he uh, that that he'd be using in the game. But I, I will say that that's the sequence where he's singing and and all the and it keeps cutting to all the ladies like going 
Now, I know that they do that. I understand that they do that. But because this was the 80s, I kept thinking it was going to become like a male stripper scene because of the way he's like in the middle and he's got his shirt down almost his waist. And I thought there was going to be a point where he just started, the music started picking up and he started taking it off. And the ladies are going to be like, oh. (laughs) I think he talked about that in the... um in the interview that he was like in that kind of set up situation or setup, he's like, they would have attacked me. You know, they're just <laughs> yeah. all around in a circle, just like letting him do his thing. Yeah. It was, it was kind of like the first version of unplugged, but they were being very respectful. They, they were, they, they were. were, but I would have, I would have rushed the stage. I don't have control. You would have, yeah. You would have been that one. Yeah. I would have been the, the one that ruined everything and they would have had to have security. And would you have tried to stage dive. I, well, stage dive when there's no stage, that would have been really uh, difficult. Uh, <laughs> I will tell you, one time I went to go see uh, Pearl Jam at the height of my love of Pearl Jam. And they came to Vegas. They did two nights in a row. And on the first night, um, I body surfed, which I've only done a couple times. But it's the best way to see the concert because I'm only five foot four. And so for me to see over people's heads, sometimes I have to get hoisted over them. And so I was body surfing and they actually handed me over to the stage. I was actually on stage with Eddie Vedder for like 10 seconds before security pulled me off. Yeah. It was amazing. And I just started screaming my head off (laughs) and then I was done. I was done. All I could think of is um, the movie top secret. Whenever Val Kilmer does a song and he like invites the girls up on stage and they're all screaming so they just faint and they pass out yeah kind of that's me i'm very boy crazy you know i have my 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 guys and so i might have rushed the stage when parker was singing i'm not gonna lie about that but the one thing i want to say is we were talking about how the house is waiting and i thought wouldn't it isn't it funny do you think that when because it was for rent right before they bought it do you think that people would rent it and they'd be like god this house is so beautiful and whatever the version of the house's eyes were would just roll and just like yeah whatever you love me i get it i'm beautiful (laughs) i'm I'm waiting yeah i'm taken i'm taken and i'm just waiting for her to come back and you know what i mean do you think it's this whole hum like sitting there for like decades or a decade or so like i am a house you know i have to make a living you know and so (laughs) some people have to live in here but eventually the right people will show up yeah i think the house was just waiting yeah it was like eventually i'm gonna you know i'll have my margaret Yes. I'll figure it out. Like any good ghost, yeah. Do you think it's like while it's waiting, it's playing its version of Gin Rummy? Like maybe so solitaire, maybe. Solitaire. That's it. Like on the on the on the monitors, there's like a solitaire game. I like Candy Crush. that the uh, you know it might be like if there's if there's a couple in there maybe with a couple of uh, like annoying kids or someone the house really doesn't like you know he'll constantly like keep ordering them like twenty pizzas or something like that <laughs> you know, you said who keeps doing this come on the the calls came from inside the house oh. I don't know what to tell you now now what if bad Ronald moved into the house what you know what, what do you I think was, I, was, <laughs> I was thinking that earlier because Elisa Eilbacher I was thinking oh like, that's right like, what if what if it was something like uh, he he's waiting for her like or is it Babs? I forget the name of the character in Babs. Oh, Babs is the blonde, um, right? The youngest Babs is, daughter. Yeah, the one that he. Yeah, that you know, because um, I actually thought of that a few minutes ago. I thought wouldn't it be funny if it was like Ronald somehow is controlling the house and he's just waiting for the right person to show up, and it could be someone from the first house he lived in. oh so many movies we could pull out of this Uh, (laughs) it never ends so i think we've (laughs) talked about most i mean i don't know if we want to add anything or i just want to add one thing um do you think that after the blood shower 
Tanya's attitude changed. Oh, it changed. <laughs> I, I wanted to see her leaving the house. Like, I'm sad that we didn't get to yeah, see that. Yeah, we just didn't get to see it. It's like suddenly, like, she's, she's collapsing gone. in the shower, and then the next, it's like they're talking about her. Mm-hmm. I wondered, like, was she covered in blood when they found her, or was it an illusion? Do they? Because they don't really, I mm-hmm. mean, I guess they would have seen her covered in blood. I don't know how she would have gotten it off her, but there's no, there's no indication that that's what they saw, because they would have been really horrified. I would I would wonder I I think maybe it was something as maybe it wasn't blood because where would the house get the blood maybe mm. maybe from an animal or something maybe maybe it was something like this it just because when you see the blood is spraying all over her and it takes her a while to figure out that it's blood but blood is like sticky and doesn't feel like water at all right. and so I'm wondering if it's something like maybe it was like a fake blood. And it just there was it freaked her out, and then at the moment where she's collapsed, maybe it went back to being like water again or something. Yeah, you know, a lot of I wondered that. Away. And, and maybe, maybe, maybe she just came out. It's it's raining blood. It's raining blood. Okay, dear, do you have your pills? Let me take them. You know, okay, but on the bright side, it, it, at least it means that her hair would have been okay. Yes, if exactly. it turned out it was an illusion, or exactly. you know, it was just water, mm-hmm. um, because you know, in Slumber Party Massacre Part Two, uh, Courtney's <laughs> taking a blood bath, oh, right. and then when they go upstairs, there's it's just water. Yes, there's no blood. I'm sure that this house possessed was a direct inspiration. I'm wondering. <laughs> well, to be fair, <laughs> it is about that. a rock singer, right? Like, um, yes, that's like that's like the he's like the core of sexuality, right? For the protagonist. And somebody with the last name Eilbacher is in Slumber Party Massacre too. Is is there an Eilbacher in it? Is it is it Cindy? Yeah. Oh, Cindy is in it, right? Yeah. Oh my gosh, that's right. So yeah, Ooh. another connection. Wow. We are on to so we have broken some something. <laughs> something yes. Before I go into my very beef, my very beef, my very brief background, but I'm still thinking about Parker Stevenson. My beefy background. Sure. Um, sure. Do, <laughs> do uh, uh, do we all want to talk? I guess we've kind of, sort of said it, but do we all want to say what our favorite murder or like brutal set piece? Because they might not have died in the scene, but like the the most brutal set piece in the film for you. And I I'll start, and I, Dan and I might agree on this. Um, um, but I think after everything I say about the blood shower, I think it's the librarian dying in the car that really gets to the core of my being. I think it's terrifying. Although I love all of the death scenes and all of the like, um, what do you want to call those like violent scenes? But that's mm-hmm. the one that really gets to me. Dan? I would say this. I mean, I love a good blood shower and the hose attack is fun. But um, I, I think I think like I said, I think it's just the it's the moment the car catches on fire. And she can't get out of the car. Suddenly becomes brutal to me. I mean, like Slim Pickens getting the the glass in his chest. That's, like we said, more graphic than I imagined you would see. But there's just something about her being trapped in there when when they're like standing outside, like we can't help you, and she's burning to death, which is just kind of horrible to me. Yeah, it is. I was funny. I was I was joking with Parker Stevenson in the interview because I was his character kind of runs up to the car and he's like, I can't do anything about it. And he just like backs up. And it makes me think of that scene in um, Night of the Demon, the one with the Bigfoot, where the, the Bigfoot. Where, you know, where there's that they're having that like human sacrifice 
And so the guy, the oh, people yes. yell something and they start this big forest fire. And, you know, because they scare off the people and they end up dropping like their torches or whatever. And mm-hmm. then, and then the, the campers are like, well, we can't do anything about it. And they walk away and I'm like, you just started a giant <laughs> campfire, like a giant yes. wildfire, yeah. In, yeah. you know, and it always yeah. cracks me up. But when you were talking about the garden, they just, they're, they're not the best group. No, yeah. no, they're not the brightest group I've ever seen camping. But when you talked about the, the water hose, the, it's interesting and it never occurred to me, but the movie's bookended by that water hose because at the end it actually grabs Parker Stevenson and oh, it pulls him to the ground. And um, and so the movie's actually bookended by it. And that's kind of funny. I never noticed that before. Um, Nate, what's your favorite, like, violent, brutal scene in the film? I mean, it, it, I agree with the two of you. It's To me, it's just the idea. I mean, for one, the idea of burning to death is just horrible. But it's also, like... I would imagine like how it would feel to watch that happen to somebody, but be powerless to do anything about it. Yeah. So yeah, I think all around that would just be the worst. It did love cooking people because it threw the woman too in the, uh, Oh yeah. In the pool. In the pool. I, you know, I, I will say, you know, I, I don't know if you guys grew up with pools, but for a few years, uh, I lived in a house with a pool and we had a heater in the pool and I will tell you, it did not go up to 220 degrees. <laughs> Yeah, but that's just your pool. That's not everybody's true, pool. True. That's that's not the majesty of the the house possessed. It was <laughs> I because I know that like my brother would have done something stupid and been like, "Oh, it's still too cold. Put it up to one ninety. You know, and, his, and you would heard his friend screaming and boiling like lobster like a half an hour later. Do, so yeah. Do you remember those urban legends about old couples falling asleep in hot tubs and cooking themselves? Oh, no, I don't. <laughs> that was I an urban legend. Heard yeah, that urban legend. Yeah, it's it's ridiculous. I think it's in one of those urban legend books. But I'd actually heard somebody tell me about that because I grew up in Vegas, so almost all the houses had a pool of some kind, mm-hmm. and we didn't have like a traditional pool. We had the above ground pool, like the Doughboy pool. But we had friends with yeah. the built-in, the more fancy pools, and and a lot of people had hot tubs because of it. And so I think that was a pretty prevalent uh, urban legend because we knew somebody with a hot tub. And so, and they would get warm, not that warm, but, and, uh, and so I think as a kid, it was easier to buy it because we had some kind of frame of reference for them. But like for years, I thought people cooked themselves in their hot tubs and it like really freaked me out, freaked me out. Like just thinking about it now, because they would say the way the urban legend worked in my mind, even though it doesn't seem plausible as an adult, is that it would cook you inside and then from the outside. But that doesn't make sense. Yes. It would have to go from the outside in. But I always just assumed it cooked like your liver and stuff. Mm-hmm. And then you yeah. have like a cooked liver and, and so you wouldn't be able to survive even if you woke up. Like that's just how I envision it. Anyway, that's neither here nor there. That's another Amanda confesses. <laughs> but anyway, let's <laughs> let's go through the brief bit of background I have. Um, and then if we have any final thoughts, we will wrap them up there. So this movie originally aired on February 6th, 1981 on ABC. It was directed by William Wire and written by David Levinson. And we've talked about them a little because of this, but they also, uh, worked together in two other TV movies. And that is, um, fantasies and a movie called kicks. They did in 1985 with Shelley hack and, um, Anthony Geary, uh, Fantasies was um, starts Suzanne Plachette. It's another one of my all-time favorite TV movies. That one was a huge hit for um, the duo. But I will tell you, This House Possessed didn't do so well in the ratings, and I'll get there in a second. Um, it, the music is by Billy Goldenberg, and it's really good. It's really good, eerie, uh, set-piecing music. The lyrics, though, to the music that Parker Stevenson sings was um, composed by Carol Connors, who wrote um, um, a song, and I can't even think of the name of it now. I'm Gonna Fly Is At It from Rocky. 
She's a Oscar winning. Gonna fly now. Yeah. Yeah, I'm yeah. gonna fly now. Oscar winning songwriter, and I think she was discovered by Phil Spector, and um, and I think she had an affair with Elvis Presley. I think she had like a pretty wild oh. life. Yeah, I think she had a pretty wild uh-huh. life. Um, and she's she's really interesting. And uh, I remember Billy Goldenberg telling me that that she was a really fascinating character. And I think Parker Stevenson mentioned her briefly in the interview. Um, so this house possessed ran against um, on CBS Dukes of Hazard in Dallas, which was the juggernaut oh of Friday night. Yeah. Oh and then boy. so here's the interesting thing about NBC. So for years, this house pos- not free. Yeah, for years, this house possessed was thought to have run against the Brady Girls Get Married. It was a TV. It was supposed to be a TV movie, and it was scheduled to run on the same night. But for some reason, the week it ended up airing against *The House Possessed*, they decided to make to break it into four half-hour episodes of a TV show, and then and then they scrambled to fill in the time slot. So they ended up showing something um, on NBC called Quibi, which I've never heard of. The Baxters, another thing I never heard of, and something called Friday News Magazine. And so at eight thirty, huh. the Brady Girls ran. And then they had uh, three or four episodes that were what the TV movie was supposed to be. And then they went into the Brady Brides, you know, the sitcom that came mm-hmm. in that year, uh, which I have every episode of that as well. I really love them. Um, <laughs> of course. Yeah, the Brady Girls Get Married is great. But it, it's available as a TV movie. And in reruns, it ran as a TV movie. But it was it didn't actually originally air as a TV movie. But it was made as a TV movie, if that makes sense. Uh, the Dukes um, and Dallas were, of course, number one and number two for the week. This House Possessed came in at number 44 out of 64 programs. So that's a pretty low rating. Um, yeah. It tied with Those Amazing Animals for the week, um, which was a <laughs> show I loved. And although it didn't do super high in the ratings, it did pull in ABC's largest audience that season for the Friday night movie with a 25 oh, share. Yeah, yeah. yeah, so it did okay. It came in at number 115 for the season, tying with a rerun of 1979's Death Car on the Freeway, which we've talked hey. about at length yeah, on here. Um, I could only find one review of This House Possessed, which was by Cecil Smith of the LA Times. He said, quote, the film ranges from being so ridiculous that it's funny to finally becoming downright chilling. He also said it was a very moral house. Like, so with the teenagers having sex, it was like moralistically, you know, whatever it was doing to them. And so it was kind of an interesting yeah. review. Yeah, to a degree. Um, get off my land. That's, that's, that's yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, and so the only other thing I could find about this house possessed, I thought was kind of funny. So when it originally ran, um, the LA Times got a piece of uh, mail about the film. They were very unhappy with it airing. This was Kit Davis from Oceanside, California. Kit writes, My family and I were extremely offended by commercials for the movie This House Possessed. We monitor our children's programs to keep them from unnecessary shock and horror, but we are powerless against commercials. If the networks feel they need to titillate the viewers with a glimpse of blood and horror, please suitably warn us. Then in August of 1982, Karen Baker from Simi Valley wrote, Thanks to ABC for airing This House Possessed and Midnight Offerings. They were great movies. So and that was for the rerun that happened in August of this house with us. But that's those are two great. Those are two of my favorite TV movies. So in August of 1982, I must have been flying high because I'm sure I watched both of those air, airings. But I think that's funny. He didn't even watch the movie. He was just pissed off about it. And and this was I mean this was 1981. I mean I remember I was too young and too scared to go see all the slasher movies coming out. But I was consistently scared by all the commercials they used to show for them. Yes, that's right. That's right. Oh my gosh! I mean get dragged into greats or like humongous or just all these you see these things in my head yeah friday the 13th and all you know it's crazy 
I still get kind of freaked out, like, because, for instance, I don't remember TV spots for Mad Men when it originally mm-hmm. aired, but you can watch them on the DVD that Anchor Bay put out. I don't know if it ported over to the latest release that I know the stair continues did the commentary for, but <laughs> those TV spots are amazing. Mm-hmm. And they're freaky and they're very effective and they get to the heart of the film. You know what I mean? I don't yeah. know that I've ever seen a promo for this house business. I mean, be, since it's original airing, I'm positive I must have seen promos because I was so excited about the movie before it aired. But I don't know that I've seen a promo spot since then. I'd be curious to see how the film was advertised. Uh, I'm guessing they made um, great use of the blood shower and the car and the... I'm guessing. Yeah. I don't know, though. But anyway, that's really all the background I have on this movie. It really has very little in way of production history. So I was, I was really happy that Parker Stevenson was happy to fill in some of the gaps and, and talk a little bit about the actors that he worked with and stuff. And so, again, this is a wonderful film. I think it's looking good at 40. It's It's got a rewatchability to it that so few films... I say so few films for me. I watch a lot of stuff over and over again. But, like, this is a movie that, like, it doesn't matter how many times I see it. I just sit down... And I just know I'm going to, for an hour and a half, my mind is just going to be in a place of peace where I can just let the movie unfold in front of me. You know what I mean? And, yes, um, yes. and at the same time, the older I get, the more kind of things I see in it. And so I don't think it's a completely superficial film. I don't know that they intended a lot of what I read into it, but it's there. And um, and it's very worthwhile. And on top of that, one, I, one of the things I remember saying to Parker Stevenson was, I think it's such a shame that this movie did not get a legit home video release because um, it is really beautifully shot. And I don't know that there's been a pristine copy of it ever available that I've been able to find. And watching it on YouTube or getting a bootleg of it kind of diminishes how much care they put into the film. I think clearly that it's really well made and they took their time with it. And I think it did have like a longer shoot than most TV movies. I think Parker Stevenson said it shot for like five weeks, which is unheard of, right, in the world of TV movies. So I think they spent a lot of time trying to make a, a really decent film and they did beyond that for me. So that's just my closing thoughts on that. Do you guys want to add anything, Dan? Uh, I I think it's a I I really enjoy it. I think it is rewatchable, which is fun. I think one thing to do the the more maybe the third or fourth time you watch it, pay out pay attention to those moments like the solar panel moment or some of the moments where the camera like I, I'm just watching the I have the funeral playing here after Slim Pickens character dies and there's a moment where it follows the two the two of them the you know uh, Lisa and Parker there as they're walking and they have their hands around each other in elaborate fashion and they pass by a hearse and the camera kind of like pans along the, sees them and then it kind of like the the hearse fills up the screen and then it just sits there for a few seconds and you think what's going on and then it cuts to another shot of them walking Be like what is the house in the hearse what's going on what's <laughs> and there's all these if it's it's one of those it's one of those fun movies where if you pay attention to all the little bits that you maybe wouldn't normally pay attention to, like in a TV movie or maybe in a movie in general, um, there, there are a lot of little nice little bits, and they, um, I think, I think it's, I think it's well put together, it's well structured. I think, and I can see as I'm watching it, I can see how it can, it, it's, a, I can see how it's a comfort film to you. Because I could see how that, how this could be a com- I mean, like to me, like the TV movies, like Escape is a film I can put on at any time. And for 70 minutes, I'm in a special place. 
and I could see exactly how this would could be that sort of movie for someone and, and for you specifically. So yeah, I, I think um, may, maybe if you're listening and you haven't watched it, maybe it's your next comfort film. Maybe it's your 2021 comfort film. You can watch it 30 or 40 times over the next year. Why not give it a try? It's fun. It's got Parker <laughs> Stevenson and Lisa Albacher and a lot of other great people. Too. Yeah. You can, oh, we, we didn't even mention Barry Corbin from Northern Exposures that got in sure, one sure, scene. Yeah. He just shows up yeah. and then he's just a jerk. Yeah. He's the jerk yeah, cop. Yes. Are you guys smoking yeah. pot, you know? Yeah. No, yeah. I'm not. And it's just, and he's, he just looks like he can't be bothered by this couple. And it's, a, it's just such an amazing, yeah. weird moment in the film. It's just like a two minute scene. And you're like, that's not very Corbin. Why isn't he starring in this? Um, yeah, it's, oh, it also has David Pamer. Is it David Pamer or his brother? Yes. I think it's doc, David. Doc, yeah. yeah. And he goes, hey, don't get so frosted, which is my favorite line. You the guy with Strayhorn? Yeah. King. Arthur King. How's Garrett? Let me ask you a couple of questions. You know him pretty good? The boy's like a son to me. Known him ever since he's been in the business. Right, right. He must be his manager. Yeah. What's he into? Coke? Heroin? Pills? Nothing. The boy don't use anything. Shoot, everybody in the business knows that. Hey, look, man. I'm a doctor, not a cop. So spend me the magazine to do. Hey, listen, Doc. I don't give a darn if you're J. Edgar Hoover or Albert Schweitzer. The kid's straight. Okay. Don't get frosted. Just something I have to know. All right, what your friend apparently has is a case of total physical exhaustion, maybe with some mental fatigue thrown in. When's the last vacation he had? It's been a long time. I told the boy he's been working too hard. Yeah, well, he's going to get one now, whether he likes it or not. Uh, we're going to keep him here a few days till he's out of the woods, run a few tests. I'll keep you posted. Hey, uh, what makes a guy work like that? Same as you, dedication. Not me, man. I'm in it for the money. There is an interesting moment with where, um, yeah, that character plays a, a doctor talking to Slim Pickens about uh, Parker Stevens' character being exhausted in the hospital. And as um, as 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 his the doctor character is walking away, he turns around and says, "You know what? What makes someone you know get so sort of determined on something that they um uh you know that this happens to them?" And I forget exactly what Slim Pickens says, but like you know, just like he's you know, it's his thing, it's his life, you know, just like with you. And the doctor says, "I'm in this for the money." And he keeps on walking. Yeah, and that's it. And that's the scene. It, yes. Yeah, it's great. It's full of all these really wonderful faces. And it's just a great film. And uh, Nate, um, do you have any closing thoughts? I liked it. <laughs> you did. I'm so happy. I'm so happy yes. that people enjoy this movie. And it has it does have a minor cult following. And it's really nice to see that after all these years, um, some people hold it in such a high regard. So, um I'm really happy to be doing this and I hope everybody enjoyed listening to it. And I'm hoping to get a couple more actors throughout the year if things work out to talk about uh, more TV movie work. So um, just stay tuned. We've got another episode coming up in a few weeks um, and we're going to have a guest. I guess I can announce the guest. Uh, it's going to be Joseph Henson from The Stereo Continues. He's the only one I haven't had from yes. from yes. the show on here and I'm kind of bummed that it took this long but um, the I I can never remember the name of the second film that I picked. That's why I haven't announced it but I will promote that and if people want to send in feedback to that they can um, and that'll be just uh, probably a few weeks after this comes out so just stay tuned. Thank you for listening and you know it sensitive you're not guys just deal with it bye margaret bye bye